This is some good turkey. Yeah, Greg. Thanks for having us on Naya to celebrate Thanksgiving with you. <sighs> yeah, it's tradition now. I guess it's better than being literally physically alone on Thanksgiving. Hey, Greg, can you uh, pass me some stuffing? Yeah, here you go. Greg, do you want some of this bean stew that I made? No, I'm good. Guys, do you ever feel like there's more to human life than podcasting? Hey, Colin, I think there's something going on with Greg. Yeah, I know. I've never seen him turn down bean stew before. You're right. This is serious. Do you do you think that maybe he's lost the Thanksgiving spirit? I don't know. You know, honestly, it's kind of hard to think with him just chattering away over there. Greg, stop. Uh, be quiet. Um, me and Colin, uh, we're going to go use the head. But I don't need to go to the bathroom. It's a small head. It's This is a sailboat. I don't think you'll both fit. Uh, we're going to check out the new renovations. Yeah, the renovations. Uh, uh, okay. I mean, it's just like the tank and the plumbing. Maybe when you get out, we can all talk about that stuff I just opened up to you about. Uh, yeah, sure. Definitely. What are you doing, man? I thought we were taking a piss. No, dude. I brought you in here to talk about Greg. Oh, right. I think he's lost the Thanksgiving spirit, and it's serious this time. I know. He's not even wearing his formal captain's hat. What can we do? What if we had another Thanksgiving holiday pageant spectacular? Only this time, it's even bigger with more guests, more segments, and even more actionably libelous claims. That's it! Quick, Greg, shut up! And get ready for another Seattle Sucks Holiday Pageant Spectacular! Content warning. Thanksgiving is a celebration of settler colonial genocide. Its themes and traditions do not necessarily represent the politics of this podcast, which was recorded on unceded indigenous land. Are you unemployed? Quarantined? Are you bored and alone? Are you on your fifth Percocet today? Try checking out the Seattle Sucks Patreon. We have something for everyone, including topics like... Seattle Times editorial articles that we're reading for the first time. <laughs> Boat facts! That was going to be mine. <laughs> <laughs> Got you, motherfucker. <laughs> Technology that will kill you. Movie reviews. The mayor's address. Google can't hide it from us. Holiday beverage recipes. Confirmation that nothing will ever get better. <laughs> Technical difficulties. Your future in the techno-proletarian space hell. Human shit. Human shit. And human shit. All this and more for the market price of a Starbucks latte. 
subscribe today. <laughs>
how is the legal effort going? Have you been able to stop and or start the counts? Have you found the good ballots? Have you thrown out the bad ones? Like, what inside info can you give us from the Giuliani camp? How's the big orange man taking it? Is it is are his spirits up for Thanksgiving? Like, what's going on? That's a good question. Yeah. So as I'm sure you know, all lawyers in America have been um, ordered <laughs> to stop what they're doing and get to the polls. So in Washington, it's been a little weird because we don't have really that many polls, but I still managed to get to them. Um, <laughs> good. Good, I've good. been investigating tirelessly. I found some dead people who voted, dogs who voted. Um, oh, no. so yeah, it's been a pretty hectic couple of weeks, but Orange Man is in great spirits because he knows that he's on the right side of history and that any minute now um, it's going to go his way. Cool. It's not what over until it's over. What about the legend Culp? Uh, the man in the Oh, well, he shades. also, yeah, like he also has been doing really, really well um, <laughs> in the new votes that we've been finding. Um, it looks like he's definitely going to win. He knows it for sure. Um, and that's really the most important thing you can learn from this season is if you believe in yourself. Um, most likely you're going to win. Oh, that's that's wonderful because otherwise uh, the show would look pretty embarrassed for having endorsed him so heartily if he if he wound up losing. Um, yeah, he has a lot of great supporters like you guys. <laughs> yeah, with Giuliani, though, you know, I had heard that he was America's mayor, maybe America's yeah. lawyer, but I didn't realize all lawyers in America belong to Giuliani. So is this sort of like a pope to the Catholics sort of situation? Yeah, it's kind of like a, we don't like to talk about it because it's not that, um, it's a little weird, you know, to have like an overlord who's Rudy Giuliani. Um, but yeah, it's just basically like when you, it's kind of like the Hippocratic Oath if you're a doctor, but like if you're a lawyer, you have to basically pledge allegiance to Giuliani and you have to give him your number on speed dial. And if he ever needs you, like this is the first time the country's really been in crisis since I've been an attorney. So I'm really, you know proud and honored to be called to service in this way um oh, that's, by that's beautiful rg yeah that's, that's wonderful that's wonderful is it true that he'll grant you eternal life if you successfully aid him in his campaign to find these votes <laughs> if you ate him aid like him, a turkey sorry. no if you <laughs> ate him <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 um, hold on, hold on. I think Colin's <laughs> on to something here. If you eat Rudy Giuliani, will you gain his powers? So I well, can't really easy. talk about that part of it because it's kind of controversial. Um, <laughs> but I will say a lot of people really get hungry looking at him. Um, <laughs> I, I know I he's really appetizing piece of meat. He also <laughs> um, is, I don't know if you guys saw the newest Borat, which is also a very serious lawyer film. Um, but it has a really great appearance by Rudy where you can just tell that he's still a really hot blooded American man. Who's just ready for uh, sexual assault and all the good stuff that America's <laughs> built on. It's nice to know our leaders are still so virile. Even this, right. Late. You might look at him and you might think that guy's probably not going to have sex anytime in the next few years, but <laughs> turns out he's ready. <laughs> well, so so, okay. you know, moving on to from, I mean, this sounds like great election news. We're really glad to have, you know, you know, our own lawyer so close to the heart of it all uh, and get this great, you know, information um, onto the legal advice segment. This so number one on my list. I have a hypothetical situation here. Let's say someone is walking down the street with their cell phone on locate full location service 
and an act of uh left-wing political domestic terrorism is committed within a few blocks of where they're standing. And this person has no knowledge of this and doesn't know anything, uh, doesn't really witness anything either, but does do a regular weekly podcast in which they call for the overthrow of the state. Um, how long, like, what is the like mean time to being railroaded by the FBI and the federal government <laughs> on like bullshit charges or like you know uh being asked to like name names in a plea deal uh is it like months years huh well that's a kind of twisty little hypothetical um (laughs) sounds based on probably just your wild imagination Uh Mm uh-huh um well as as you guys know i don't give you legal advice (laughs) (laughs) no no Um, no it's okay you can give us the, the legal advice. It's I right. guess probably you're looking at the statute of limitations. That's the kind of question you're asking. Oh, really? So how long okay, can like the government long... sit on a crime before they charge you with it? But that's got to be in years, right? Yeah. In Washington, it's usually like three years or two years, depending on what level of offense it is. But it sounds like you might be uh, <laughs> talking about a federal crime. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I definitely am. Yeah, and well, I'm not as familiar, but I'd imagine it's worse. Well, it's good that we're getting it on tape. Longer. It's good we're getting it on tape, though, right? That's really one of the most um, important legal advices I can give. Advices plural is yeah. always make documentary evidence of your crimes. Mm-hmm. Keep them cool. near yeah. you. Keep them accessible. Keep them unencrypted, and probably broadcast them over the air or whatever Twitter accounts you can get your okay. Yeah. So and so if you're with you. Too. If you're with your lawyer, which you're our lawyer, our show's lawyer, you work not for us. It, no, it, that's no, no. You're a lawyer. Uh, it's important that we record our conversations with our with our counsel. Who's you? That we record those, and if they're good or funny, we should probably play them. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good way to kill attorney-client privilege. Maybe play them for the FBI when they come to my door. Here's like an addendum to this hypothetical. Let's say a year from now. The, you know, having like built a big sweeping like surveillance case, like with thousands of names that they've combed through looking for possible targets. They're looking, it's a fishing expedition. They're looking for people connected to this based on the cell phone metadata. And they come to my door to ask some questions. Is it like the boat store? Does it have a door? Yeah, they come to the marina. (laughs) (laughs) They come to the marina. I don't let them in the marina, but I talk to them through a chain link fence. And that's a good move. They, um, excuse me. I mean, hypothetically, the, the, the this cha- person, the chain link, this hypothetical link, person way, who also lives on a, a boat. legal barrier. Though, yes. Right. Between yes. you and the person you're talking to, they cannot convict you for anything you say between the chain links. That's, that's a fact. Yeah. Right? That's a, it's a kind of an archaic area of law, but it, it sounds right. <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, yeah. <laughs> it's maritime law. Um, yeah, the chain so link if I'm addendum. standing on the dock, then they have to get the maritime FBI. Um, so, uh, so I surmise in my mind by sort of just like sizing them up as people and like by my own, I ask them a lot of probing questions to sort of get an idea about what their case is, you know, mm-hmm. or what evidence they have against me. Cause I try to like outsmart them there on the sidewalk. I mean, the person, the hypothetical person <laughs> who's not me, like You're just getting really a, into the role. Yeah. Ask yeah. them a bunch of probing questions. And this hypothetical person surmises that while they have the metadata, you know, that I might have been, you know, 
unbeknownst to me, near the site of a federal crime at some point uh, and totally uninvolved. They don't know that I have this pod, that this person has this podcast where they call for the overthrow of the state. And I, so I offer up, well, yes, I was there, but I was there in my capacity as a journalist, as a part of the free press under the First Amendment. As proof, I give them the link to my, to this person gives them the link to a podcast where the overthrow of the state is regularly called for. Um, to show that, in fact, uh, well, what this person was doing on the street in that location at that time was doing journalism. Yeah, I mean, I think we all can look at some recent historical examples and realize that journalists are completely immune from prosecution. Cool. Great. Um, all right. Yeah, just like Julian. So that'll Apollon's that'll kind degree. of that'll calm them down, probably, yeah. and they won't decide to charge me okay good good yeah to be fair usually you should give the police the most information you can really um, <laughs> so they have overshare. an accurate picture of who you are as a person and your character so they can make a judgment yeah because usually know, they're the pretty right open-minded they come uh-huh. in without any preconceived notions they just want to get to know you better they might end up being a good listener a good fan a patron if you will mm, yeah yeah so well, yeah if a- you did you did good or a hypothetical person on the boat did really a good job with that decision. Okay. Well, Tanya, I want to, uh, um, thank you. <laughs> I want to get Rest away. From the, <laughs> I want to get away from these hypotheticals that are just out there. You know, we're just coming up with on the fly and I want to bring it a little bit more down to earth with another hypothetical. All right. I'm at Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner. <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner. I'm with my family. Uh, my Hope dad, it's a big gathering. Yeah. I heard that's yeah. in vogue this year. Yeah, it was with my family, so the gathering's like six people. It's not it's not that big. We're we're still white people from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm there, we're at the at the Thanksgiving. Uh my dad starts talking. Um and I look over to you because you're there too, because you're my you're my counsel. And don't leave home without her. Yeah, and I look over to you and I say, Your Honor, permission to treat my dad as a hostile witness. Does that hold up in court? Is that is that a legal maneuver I can use at the Thanksgiving table? So there's a lot to unpack in that question. <laughs> um, if we were in a courtroom and I was a judge and the witness was not answering your questions. Oh, if, if you were the judge, I'm sure we'd win this case. Probably if your lawyer is your judge. Because you'd be on my side. You're in a good situation. Um, <laughs> so what would you be doing to your dad in a hostile way? Is that appropriate to ask? Uh, probably just berating him. <laughs> hmm. Well, Giving I guess you have you permission, nickname, maybe permission granted, <laughs> permission granted. That's okay. All I needed. We heard it here, folks. <laughs> it is legally under the Constitution upheld by jurisprudence. OK, for you to treat your family as hostile witnesses at the Thanksgiving dinner table. God knows I will. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Codem Tanya, for coming on and once again, sharing your legal expertise with our listeners and with us. And I think we all uh, learned something. Um, uh, you know, we'll let you, I guess, get back to that turkey. Is there anything you want to shout out on your way out? I'll just, I'll just send you my bill. Um, and it was a great work chat. Oh, that was that was a knee slapper, uh, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> my hourly rate is very high, <laughs> especially oh, on holidays. Oh. 
our listeners know you do this uh, for because you know it's the right thing to do. You, you might need a GoFundMe. And I should remind everybody that all the legal advice you give on the show is they they can you know that's actionable. They can take action uh, knowing that they're safe and that if they do get railroaded by the police, you will defend them. Pro bono. Find me at code right name Tanya dot Esquire dot gov, and I will bail you out of jail. <laughs> <laughs> Full service. There you go. All the way from bail to uh, defense in court. Very bail exciting. to jail. <laughs> bail to jail. Well, I mean, hopefully not to jail. But we'll see. <laughs> All right. Have a great Thanksgiving. No masks, no problem. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks, Codename Tanya. <laughs> Have a good one. Thank you again to our lawyer. Codename Tanya for the legal advice. Always appreciated by us and our listeners who she represents. Yeah, and that advice, you can take it. You can take it right to the bank. And if they arrest you at said bank, uh, she will represent you. You can take it to the bank written on a note that you pass to the teller (laughs) signed with Codename Tanya's legal name under which she practices law. And, you know, what happens after that doesn't matter because she will be there to represent you and get you off scot-free. And, you know, maybe we're not even being clear enough. Maybe maybe I should just give her phone number. Here, hold on one second. (laughs) Calling all. Developers, 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 developers. And those who have not yet learned to code, especially children, we cordially invite you to the breakthrough program taking former Tidal Islands by storm. At the Magnolia Mindset Machine Learning Academy, machines are being taught at a rate most thought impossible in our lifetime by technicians as young as five years old. Please, please. You have to let me pilot unit one. You could be creating the disruptions of tomorrow, today, by joining their ranks right now at our most competitive price yet on this Cyber Monday. We're offering 10% off on storage and maintenance fees for your would-be child engineers. We'll have your kids saying, It's a Unix system. I know this. In no time. And don't worry. We've partnered with the premier massive open online course platforms to make sure that when they aren't teaching computers new tricks 60 hours a week, that they turn the tables and learn something from the computer instead. Plus, we offer best-in-class protection to make sure your children are safe on campus. You can sleep peacefully knowing that a fleet of Amazon Always Home Camps will be surveilling your little one 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. So, if you're ready for the future of humanity to start building the future of humanity today, use coupon code Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation at checkout to apply. This is a container of human feces. But wait, don't have children because you find them highly illogical, hyperactive, or otherwise annoying. Believe in the imminent collapse of society and the end of the world at large? 
and therefore wish to make kings with an app that skirts decades of labor laws and protections in service of enacting a distributed digital libertarian utopia in unregulated bits that you have the gall to call innovation? We haven't forgot about you, and that's why we're offering 5% off on compute time during your enrollment. You'll save big training your GAN that generates human faces of people that do not exist, or working on making YOLO identify genitalia and other orifices after subjecting it to gigabyte after gigabyte of annotated pornographic imagery. If you're ready to get serious about your future, our future, or just blast off into a new career that is infamously ageist in its hiring practices, use coupon code Innovation Advisory Council at checkout to apply. Warning, protections for stored and maintained children do not extend to sexual activity, especially as it pertains to instructor-student relations. We believe in your child's as well as our instructor's free will and agency over their own body. This is what happens when you work to change things and First they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. Throw out your startup vitamins, move fast and break things, and become a true freak, just like us, at the Magnolia Mindset Machine Learning Academy. But, there is one more thing. Made with love in Seattle, Washington. Uh, So, as we know, Thanksgiving is about giving thanks. It's also about catching up with our friends, as we already have. Uh, But I thought maybe we'd catch up with another friend from last year, Bill Gates and his Gates Foundation. Uh, do you have something for us, Colin? Oh, do I ever. It's uh, <laughs> it's a real doozy. Are you ready for this one? Oh, I am always ready on a th- to celebrate Thanksgiving the way we always do, which is diving into the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. <laughs> sounds great. Let's do it. All right. So this was originally published in the New York Times, and we're not going to read the entire thing in full, but... It was republished in the Seattle Times recently, and the title of this is Inside Bill Gates' High-Stakes Quest to Vaccinate the World Against COVID-19. And I think we can assume the Seattle Times took out all the big words. Yeah. Let's hope so. I mean, (laughs) you know, this episode's going to be long enough. I also assume, I'm just going to guess right off the bat, that the high stakes they're talking about are not actually as what you, the listener, probably naive as you are, immediately assumed were the lives of everyone in the world. <laughs> I'm going to guess it's actually talking about the uh, dollar investment, the vested interest uh, believe you would. that Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation have on the line in this. And uh, I'll put money on that. I can't believe that you would stoop so low as to think that this is something about as dirty, as small, as just filthy lucre. Uh, <laughs> Colin, you know, please, wrong. please cure Greg of this notion. And let's get into this. All right. Working behind the scenes of an $11 billion effort to lay the groundwork to procure coronavirus vaccines for more than 150 countries is the world's second richest man, neither a scientist nor a doctor, who sees himself and his $50 billion foundation as 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 uniquely prepared to take a central part. Gates and his team are drawing on connections and infrastructure the foundation has built over two decades to help guide the effort. I mean, they're drawing on the fucking money. (laughs) You can buy connections. Yeah. Yeah. The connections infrastructure uh, that comes with being the world's second richest man. Like it's like want to imbue all of this with like a mystique and like a uh, like a labor value, you know, (laughs) like all the work they put in. But I mean, yeah, they've got the money. Yeah. And yes, they owe the world a vaccine because of that. (laughs) Go on. It's that Mr. Show sketch where David Cross 
basically says more money equals better than. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so here we go. It says, we know how to work with governments. We know how to work with pharma. We've thought about this scenario, Gates said in a recent interview. We need, at least in terms of expertise and relationships, to play a very, very key role here. Oof. Yeah, love it. Yeah, <laughs> love no, it already. No, thank you. As the, as the first vaccine candidates sprint toward regulatory approval, the question of how to immunize much of the world population has taken on added urgency. But nine months in, the success of the vaccine effort, known as COVAX, is not at all certain. So far, it has pulled in only $3.6 billion in funding for research, manufacturing, and subsidies for poor countries. Three companies have promised to deliver vaccines, but it is not yet known whether they will be effective. And it may be difficult to secure the necessary billions of doses in an affordable, timely way because the United States and other wealthy countries have cut separate deals for their citizens. (laughs) Wait, hold on. Are we we the bad guys in this story? (laughs) Are we the baddies? (laughs) So yeah, the the COVAX, by the way... uh, is this you know international sort of collective effort uh, by the World Health Organization to create some sort of COVID vaccine that can be delivered, uh, you know, hopefully to you know developing countries, the third world, whatever euphemism you want to use. Um, and I do love that it just begins right at the bat of don't worry, the first world has already completely tied this project up in fucking knots by brokering deals <laughs> with all the pharma companies. <laughs> <laughs> so don't worry, it's already fucked. <laughs> in recent well, months. Yeah. Yeah. No, sorry. In recent months, Gates, who emphasizes that he is one of many involved in the vaccine effort, has hosted online roundtables with drug company officials. He has pursued financial commitments from world leaders. In one week alone, he and his wife and co-chair, Melinda Gates, spoke with President Emmanuel Macron of France, Chancellor Angela Merkel of Germany, President Ursula von der Leyen of the European Commission and Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed of Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates. (laughs) Oof. Well, I mean, just a, a stunning list of people I'm sure have uh, poor people in this world's interests at heart. Uh, but go on, please. In Washington, Bill Gates has consulted frequently with Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's chief infectious disease expert and a longtime collaborator on vaccine initiatives, and talked to Senator Mitch McConnell, a polio survivor who has been supportive of programs to eradicate that and other scourges. And to help staff the vaccine effort, his foundation has provided millions of dollars for McKinsey and co consultants. <laughs> so we've literally assembled the Legion of Doom here. <laughs> I'm sure. An unholy act. Holy shit. Yes. Holy shit. It's the they fucking axis. Yeah, they have the 20 most awful humans on the planet. <laughs> All these guys are in there. Just unfucking believable. Like, like Hitler, Mussolini, and Tojo <laughs> coming together. Like. Just unbelievable. So fucking good. (laughs) Some people will say, why should it be him? Said Dr. Ariel Pablos Mendez, former director of knowledge management at the WHO. He has the star power. He has the resources. He cares. There are many players that do things, but not at the scale of Gates. So (laughs) listen, listen, they're big players out there. Okay. They ain't got shit on Gates. All right. What they said there was, he's got the power. That's the only (laughs) real, like, salient point in this entire article so far. He's got the power. He's really all there is. Why Gates? Because he's rich. Although I do love that it adds this uh, very modern era bit in here, kind of like Trump, where also he's famous. (laughs) Gotta have the famous guy in charge. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's a brand. It's like he can wrangle all these forces because he's the brand for like helping the world, yeah, which like, makes him Gates. He's the indispensable billionaire. Mm-hmm. He's like, like they're, they're they're talking about Bill Gates the way the sort of foreign policy establishment has for decades talked about the United States and its role in the world as like we you know we've got to be there to show the leadership. We've got we are the indispensable nation who's got to be have our finger in everything because we're the only ones who can bring the parties together who have the credibility and the power globally to get this stuff done that's just bill gates now for any serious like global Mm -hmm. emergency he's indispensable that's we have let him become that that's one asshole i think i mean as bad as american imperialism is gates imperialism is i'm I'm, it's worse it's worse (laughs) folks one one rich asshole is worse than a a congress and white house full of creeps you know (laughs) And a deep state, for that matter. Amid the pandemic, some public health officials and advocates argue that vaccine makers, many of which have benefited from unprecedented public funding, should be compelled to share their technology, data, and know-how to maximize production. India and South Africa, for example, are pushing to suspend the global enforcement of intellectual property rights involving the virus. I'm sure that is going to go over gangbusters. And it probably is worth remembering from our talk last year about Bill Gates that really one of the main functions of the Gates Foundation is to uphold the mm-hmm. you know copyright and patent fucking stranglehold that pharmaceutical companies have on the planet. Yeah. I'm also fairly certain that they are engaging in this effort to you know lobby to suspend IP rules on these vaccinations because they are 100% planning if necessary to throw them out the window if they want to which mm-hmm. is cool and good and they should do that mm-hmm. yeah. those are places that are working on their own vaccines but if but if something comes along that's good and easy to produce and cheap they should absolutely get their hands on it and the day and the research by whatever means are necessary and reproduce it for their citizens and tell whoever supposedly owns it to go fuck themselves yeah yeah i think this is interesting too because it sort of underscores something that all of that preceding passage was uh, advancing in opposite, which is that it takes Gates to coalesce all of these people to to be convinced to work together. And then, mm-hmm. oh, gee, what do you know? Here are two countries willing to suspend global enforcement of intellectual property rights without our good friend Gates. Yeah. Uh, they don't want them working together in that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the wrong yeah. kind of working together, all right? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. 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 Nailed it. In the current plan for a global vaccine deal, poor countries would receive only enough doses to inoculate 20% of their populations by the end of next year. It's really interesting that that tracks with the Pareto principle. But anyway, some (laughs) some models show that there will not be enough vaccines to cover the entire world until 2024. Yikes. Yeah. Holy shit. Well, yeah, and it's, you know, I love that paragraph because it just gives up the whole game of what's actually happening here, which is for all the jerking off that we're going to hear about Bill Gates, it's let the poor die. That, it, that's this the is, plan. Look, this what what they're describing here is what we described in the early days of the pandemic here in America and in Washington State, where our government was like flailing until they could get like a story together, right, and a plan, mm-hmm. and all agree with the press and the all the institutions all agree on a story for what was going on, and then they could reopen the economy and be like, yeah, it's all good now, and that's. What I'm hearing here is like, look, the Gates Foundation and the World Health Organization, everybody is doing the stuff. We're going to have the answers when we're asked uh, why are people still dying? We're going to say, well, look, look at all this effort we put in. We have this giant plan. There's pay, there's mile, you know, 
towers of documents. There's all these people have collaborated and we've got 20% of those populations inoculated and we're doing more at a slow pace. But it's clearly the best we could have done because look, here we are, the experts and the rich people saying that it is because we put in the work. And yeah, that's fucking grim. The consequence of long-time Gates strategies is that they go along with corporate control over supply, said Brooke Baker, a Northeastern University law professor and policy analyst for Health, Health Gap, which advocates equitable access to drugs. In a pandemic, that is a real problem. Me- meanwhile, officials from mm, some countries yep. participating in the vaccine initiative complain that they were barely consulted until recently, so they don't have a seat at, uh, at Gates' table. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> They're pushing us, cornering us, in order to make us pay, Juan Carlos Zavalos, Ecuador's health minister, said of the dealmakers. We don't have a choice about which vaccine we would like to use. It is whatever they impose on us. Yeah, I mean, this sounds great, right? Uh, The United States and Europe just going into the third world uh, in the middle of a pandemic and uh, telling them what, you know, drugs they can use, which ones they can have access to. What could go wrong? And what times and on what, like, production timescale as well. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? So now we get a rad heading, which is the bill chill. (laughs) Fuck. Gates became interested in immunizations in the late 1990s when he learned about autism. Okay, just kidding. (laughs) 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 While watching an episode of Singled Out in the 90s. (laughs) When Microsoft was facing an antitrust case that cast him as a modern-day robber baron. Okay, just pause right here. Now... Is where I'm put. I put my chip down when we talked about the Gates Foundation last time. That the entire reason he created the Gates Foundation, which I said, which I said I couldn't prove, but there was a lot of circumstantial evidence, was basically to get out of this sort of uh, 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 monopoly, uh, you know, trial he was essentially facing, right, and the monopoly charges that he was facing, right. Mm-hmm. And it just so By happened. waging a PR battle, essentially. Yeah, and I think that what ended up happening was he essentially brokered a deal with the American ruling class in a back room somewhere, where he said, probably in a room with fucking, you know assorted senators and probably bill clinton and probably fucking rockefellers or whatever and basically it's like okay if i do this will you you know lay off on some of these charges and i'm just gonna point out i think this reporter agrees with me yeah and not, <laughs> right? not, that's not to say that like the american ruling class was like bill you need to do some good you know noblesse mm-hmm. oblige and all that no. no 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 it's this they were like bill we don't want to be doing this we don't actually believe in antitrust laws mm-hmm. we think monopolies are good we get it. We want you to do this. But you're too famous. Your product is too famous because you're too successful on Monopoly because you're also a direct-to-consumer Monopoly, not even just to industry. You're in every fucking household and everyone knows you're a fucking Monopoly and you're fucking people. It's too out in the open and it's too big. So the hammer, ha- you have to be made an example of. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get out of this, we'll drag it out and let the heat blow off a little bit. In the meantime, you need to wage a massive PR war like changing your image into a the world's greatest historical philanthropist so that when we quietly let the antitrust thing go away in a few years it, there isn't as much fucking pushback because yeah. you've changed your image that's, uh, basically, that's how miracle works yeah it's basically if a bunch of feudal lords like took a, a new knight aside and were like hey we know you got some more money coming your way and all that. You're a good earner. But instead of uh, lopping off the peasants' heads every time they get near you, uh, try winging a fucking coin at their head instead. <laughs> Just yeah. to lower the heat a little bit. Yeah. Right? You know, which is basically the conversation they have with them into the Gates Foundation. So I'm sure the Gates Foundation is going to do great work on this. Fuck, man. Vaccines involved creating new technology, his specialty. 
Their effect was measurable. Inexpensive doses could protect hundreds of millions against devastating disease. They were also about making deals. (laughs) Billy deals, man. Fuck, dude. (laughs) Many Western drug companies had stopped producing vaccines back then, finding them unprofitable. But through his giving, Gates helped create a new business model involving subsidies, advanced market commitments, and volume guarantees. This is basically sounding like the... uh, the joke song from Mary Poppins that's just dunking on <laughs> capitalism. Yeah, yeah. I 100%. I, I love that it's called, you know, it, it's hard to tell. I mean, I, I think the writer's opinion of the Gates Foundation comes out in this article, but I love this through his giving and then just going like, and by giving, what I really mean is uh, paying lobbyists to give subsidies to <laughs> pharmaceutical companies uh, while also uh, like making countries in the third world give advanced commitments to purchase huge amounts of drugs that probably won't fucking work. Oh my God, know? dude. But, yeah. I want to see this fail so bad. We were joking off air about um, what it's going to be like when, like President Xi makes us makes America's ruling class bow down to him. But like, holy shit, this is could be a major backfire for the American Imperium and for neoliberal neoliberalism in general. If the entire fucking developing world is being asked to jump through these hoops and like wait in line for this for these fucking vaccines for years and China and fucking I, I, I'm waiting for Cuba to become a player in this vaccine game as well. Um, like, well, but with chi- Chinese men, certainly Chinese, I mean, they may not need to like with China as they're developing them and they're going to have the production capacity. Like, you know, like, you know, there's not going to be any question of China being able to vaccinate its entire fucking population and then be like, well, I mean, we could turn off the factories producing the vaccines or you could all have them for free. Yeah. And just just once and for all break. That could be something that that could be such a hammer stroke to the like the like Atlantic world's fucking stranglehold on the on global like international relations and economy. Like, well, like part of, really like a masterstroke yeah, against I mean, America and, and not out of the question. Cause part of China's belt and road strategy was that they literally uh, created an alternative to the world bank and the IMF yeah. through which they would lend to third world countries or whatever at rates far below and with, you know, requisites far less onerous than the IMF and world bank did. And, you know, for those who study U.S. history... Without the fucking, like, mm-hmm. the neoliberal... Yeah, yeah, like, that's what I mean. Like, like shock therapy owners. constraints, you yep. know? Like, like here, we'll give you this money so you can keep going and develop a little, but you have to destroy your economy and your fucking yep. state, basically. Yeah, and this is actually, you know, for those who are uh, real U.S. history nerds, uh, this is literally how the U.S. pried away the British Empire as well. Because <laughs> they just went in and were like, hey, step arm from those guys, borrow from us, Right. We'll give you a better rate. We'll give you know, and you know the U.S. warmed it so I had all these things. But you know, China could very easily you know continue to build that goodwill. Uh, one of the things Obama bragged about after he left office was that at the last big climate conference of his uh, administration, China had actually held a separate meeting where they talked to countries in the third world and were like, look, you know, America, Europe, they're going to hang your ass out to dry. You should side with us. All right. Like we'll support green technologies. We'll help fund them and all that stuff for you guys. So you don't get left in the cold when these guys fuck you ultimately. And Obama very proudly, uh, bragged about how he broke in on the meeting and basically broke it all up and ruined it <laughs> to ensure that of course that we would continue on the freight train off the climate change cliff but uh fucking prick oh he's such a piece of shit such a fucking piece of shit uh anyways if you guys want to hear that by the way just listen to his interview on mark maron's podcast him and mark maron think this is the funniest fucking story they've ever heard and they just laugh and laugh but uh but yeah it's um you know trying to come out and basically just be like hey 
you know, we have the vaccine, we have the production capability. You know, fuck those guys in the West. Bill Gates you, just wants you to know, force you to buy it from Pharma. Building factories for the yeah. purpose of creating this vaccine. Literally, yeah. they already have them. Like, we know they're developing several. They've got multiple, like, probably massive teams. They're probably putting more money into it than the World Health Organization. Yeah. More people. And yet, what? Yeah. What are they not going to vaccinate the world? Is that somehow not going to happen? How, like, mm. they're going to, these fucking developing, my prediction is these developing countries will be getting a Chinese vaccine while I am still waiting for one in America. <laughs> all, with all the deals that were struck by the U.S. government and Western yeah. governments and the Gates Foundation, like, yeah. they they will, the rest of the world is going to tell the WHO and the Gates Foundation to go fuck itself, and they're going to take fucking uh, Chinese, and I'm I'm still holding out for Cuban vaccines. Yeah. I, I would love to take the, the eventual Cuban vaccine. That would be great. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty good at that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I will point out that it is funny listening to all these people talk about Bill Gates in the same way like Donald Trump talks about himself, too, or like, he's a real deals guy. Like, he makes yeah. the, he gets the good deals. Fucking awesome. As opposed to the bad deals. Just in case people thought that Donald Trump was some aberration amongst rich people. <laughs> yeah. Well, what else? I mean, they have to, that, when you don't do anything else, you have to, like, invent, you know, mm -hmm. a and it's like, oh, yeah, I, we 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 got an agreement together. We got someone to shake hands on making money. <laughs> you want to make some money? Yeah, I do too. Hey, deal. Yeah. <laughs> deal. Wow, wow, that was fucking hard. The incentives drew in more manufacturers, including ones from the developing world, resulting in many more life-saving vaccinations. He brought a technocratic expertise and power rather than a discourse of human rights and activism, said Manjari. Mahajan, an associate professor of international affairs at the New School, who has written about Gates's role in public health. His foundation has spent more than $16 billion on vaccine programs, one quarter of that going to Gavi, and given $2.25 billion to the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. Both organizations are based in Geneva, where the WHO has its headquarters. With a $100 million initial pledge, Gates helped create the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations in Oslo, Norway. <laughs> Fuck, man. There are just oh, so yeah. many nouns coming at me right now. I know. <laughs> Let, let's just get the name of this organization one more time. It's so fucking beautiful. Coalition for the Willing... No, just kidding. Coalition <laughs> for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations. First off... What the fuck? It doesn't even mean anything. That is pure fucking gibberish. But I love that <laughs> this is because Bill Gates, we joke about Seattle mindset, but Bill Gates has Seattle mindset too. So he's like, throw innovation in the title. Like, I feel like they had just the first three words and then he's like, mm. and then somebody just put innovation. He's like, yes, yes. Give me that one. <laughs> what are, I mean, this is like that fucking China article. Wait, have we read that yet? <laughs> uh, no. We will. So, so we're gonna get to this, I think, when we talk to our friend Matt later. But that China, that article in Bloom the Bloomberg article on China that everyone was ragging on was this shit about like, yeah, sure, the Chinese are gonna like come up with some great vaccines, but are they really truly innovative? And <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, the Seattle mindset is permeating the fucking world through people like Bill Gates and the foundation, and it, to the point where like, to I guess to justify their the wealth and the power. You know, you've got to either make deals or innovate because just fucking doing something is just like beyond our imagination. Just getting it done, just doing the job. Like as soon as this started, the Chinese were like, "Yeah, let's just let's we need to do this." So great, get up, get a million people working on a vac, uh, multiple angles of a vaccine. Start building factories capacity because the entire world's probably going to need this. Certainly, our one. You know what? Once you can, in a reasonable time, vaccinate 1.4 billion people. The economy of scale of that suggests mm -hmm. that 
in the about three weeks after that, you can do the whole globe. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's how like economies of scale work. If they can yeah. make the capacity to vaccinate one uh, sixth of the planet, yeah, they can do the whole planet in a, a short time after that. You know, yeah. um, mind you, like uh, we're never going to get that here, but you know, yeah. Well, and it is one of those interesting things because the real sort of uh, you know big piece or card in you know that area is India. It's you know, India is kind of aligned with the U.S. against China at this point. But uh, it's going to be really hard to calm down those malice insurgencies in the Indian countryside when Xi shows up and he's like, hey, you can get this uh, free COVID vaccine for us. So you can keep waiting for that one from Bill Gates that don't worry, he's going to charge you for, <laughs> you know, it, yeah, that it could lead to some interesting international situations. But, yeah. yeah, well, who knows? I mean, you know, India, I don't know. I mean, you know, India is probably as fucked up as the United States right now. They have like an insane fucking right-wing government. India is a country that could easily develop and produce a quality vaccine for its popular, its massive population wow. in a similar time frame to China. But like, as we're going to find out, Greg, India will produce a vaccine where it goes though. That's a different question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oof, That's dark. That's, a, yep. that's really dark. Ooh. So the coalition for epidemic preparedness innovations is investing in drugs and experimental vaccines. The Coalition and Gavi are leading the coronavirus vaccine effort with the WHO. And so Gavi is just another fucking institute, right, that does uh, vaccine, it basically focuses on vaccination and stuff like that, that, by the way, uh, is a spore off of the Gates Foundation. They gave it its initial funding, and I think still give it the bulk of its funding. Yikes. The ripped yeah, off, uh, the creature that was made from the ripped off piece of rib. <laughs> Basically, what we're going to find is this whole system is like horrifyingly inbred. <laughs> the foundation, which has about 1,600 employees, also funded academic researchers, <laughs> installed its executives on the boards of multiple nonprofits, and directly invested in drug companies. So it's literally just, uh, you know, Village of the Damned or whatever. It just drones. <laughs> Send out the drones everywhere. Some public health officials disagreed with Gates's priorities, arguing that he should have directed more money to health systems. Others worried about a private individual wielding so much influence. <laughs> but few people publicly criticized his foundation. Fearful, Refreshing to just hear a phrase like that in the New York Times, frankly. Yeah. yeah. Fearful of losing its support. That self-censorship was so widespread, it acquired a nickname. The Bill Chill. Yeah, and basically they're referencing what they just talked about in the paragraph above, right? Which is, uh, do you want funding for your academic research? You have to go through Bill Gates. Do you want to work for one of these, you know, international groups of the World World Health Organization? Don't does... have a podcast that shits on Bill Gates. Yeah, you know that money comes through Bill Gates. That basically Bill Gates has set himself up as like the node through which all the money flows. So you basically have to defer to him. The guy who we began this whole article off by saying is not a scientist, a doctor, or medical expert, public health expert. But here we are. What if he was? Still not good. Doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, still not good. At times, frictions were evident with the WHO, the United Nations agency charged with international public health. Gates felt frustrated with what he viewed as the organization's rigid bureaucracy and constraints on dealing with the private sector. Some at the WHO had concerns about his growing reach. The malaria division chief complained in 2007 memo that the foundation's growing dominance of malaria research was stifling a diversity of viewpoints among scientists and undercutting the agency. 
The same year, the foundation began building up an institute that rivaled the WHO's role in health metrics. The Gates Foundation presence has been, at best, an adjunct to WHO and, at worst, a hostile takeover and a usurpation, said Amir Ataran, a University of Ottawa professor of law and medicine. Today, the foundation and the WHO stress their mutual respect for each other. Publicly, Gates has made a point of praising the agency. I can't think of anything that we disagree with them on, he said in it. He said in, a, in the interview, officials from the agency, which receives hundreds of millions of dollars annually from the foundation, its second largest donor, said Gates had helped it become more efficient. Gates pushes the science, pushes for the answers, because that's a little bit of that private sector mentality, said Dr. <laughs> Bruce Aylworth, senior advisor to the WHO's director general. Oh, that makes that makes it make sense. Yeah, because why would the WHO want answers or science. I mean, mm -hmm. this is fucking gibberish. Well, I love it because basically they say that Gates initially had this problem with the World Health Organization because it was and then like... he gave them money, yeah. Yeah, and then he bought them. Yeah. And now he literally... <laughs> and is, and for. I mean, think... Look, Bruce Aylward, that's such nonsense. He just said that. He doesn't fucking believe that no. shit. But he has to fucking, like, prostrate himself in front of, you know, right, Emperor Gates or else he'll be beheaded. That guy wrote that 2007 memo no follow-up on him, I'm guessing. Notice his name isn't there because he's gone from yeah. the planet, probably. Yeah, he's if he's not dead, he's his career is not where it was, yeah. I'll tell you that. He's the first person that Gates put in, like, the trials for developing COVID-19. He's <laughs> <laughs> patient zero. <laughs> All right, so we've reached another header here. Capitalism at work. The Gates Foundation... Oh, this, is, this is getting spicy. It is getting it, spicy. It, which is why it would never be from the Seattle Times and surprising from the New York Times, though. The Gates Foundation employs former pharmaceutical executives in its top ranks, including Dr. Trevor Mundell, who had been global head of development at Novartis, and Emilio Emini, previously a senior vice president of vaccine research at Pfizer. Working with the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, <laughs> they helped steer money into COVID-19 vaccine candidates and biotechnologies that could be quickly manufactured and suitable for the developing world. All the while, the United States and other countries were striking their own deals with vaccine makers, even before they got regulatory approval. There was some overlap between the global initiative and the U.S. effort called Operation Warp Speed. AstraZeneca, Novavax, and Sanofi made commitments to both. Gates was quick to praise the U.S. government's enormous investment in expediting coronavirus vaccines, saying it would benefit everyone. But the more that countries locked down bilateral deals, the longer the rest of the world would have to wait for doses. So again, I mean, a lot of words basically just explaining that Bill Gates is coordinating with various states the uh, essentially the profits of the pharmaceutical industry, right? Bringing them all in, creating these agreements, deciding what kind of technologies and what kind of you know vaccines they're going to focus on, and then brokering the deals with states to give them the windfall well, profits. Well, and also want. the you know first world states are brokering their own independent mm -hmm. deals yep. with these because <laughs> it's a giant pharmaceutical companies you know fucking cluster circle jerk basically so that they get them first yep. you know which the fucked up thing about that is i mean i mean that's awful like obviously like a global communist approach to this would be better that that goes without saying and goes for literally everything but uh i i still believe that despite the fact that the U.S. has made these deals, the Trump administration, let's keep in mind, has made these deals with uh, pharmaceutical companies to be first in line to get some of these vaccines. I, I still think fucking, you know, I, I would bet on the poorest people in the poorest countries in the world 
getting vaccinated before me because America's that we're seeing that America is that fucked up and America's not going to take help from people like China when they are like, listen, we've great. We're done here. We've we're still cranking out vaccines. Let's go global population. Yeah. When Gates Foundation, too, has always been, you know, kind of focused on this idea of creating like next gen medicines and stuff like that, too. Stuff that inherently has more lead time because you're trying to create, you know, groundbreaking, you know, delivery methods and stuff like that, as opposed to just making something that works. Like there's literally a pandemic now. Yeah. Like there's it, literally a raging pandemic now. And some would say, oh, that's his, uh, you know, Silicon Valley tech industry uh, disruption mentality. But the reality is like much more crass, which is just that when you make a quote-unquote groundbreaking technology, there's just a lot more patents, patents and copyrights yeah. to hold on it, right? And there's yeah. a, that's where the money is when it comes to medicine, right? Is strict copyright and patent enforcement. And, you know, that's why, you know, China's going to have their vaccine yeah, first exclusive while rights. we wait. <laughs> exclusive rights, fucking gold that you can sell. But mm. what's fucking stupid about that is, like, yeah, in the tech world, yeah, the newer, better technology comes out, and it does make in computers, in fucking the internet and shit, yeah, it makes the older technology obsolete because it's better. But in a, in medical technology, mm. all that matters for this vaccine is that it fucking works. So yeah. if they, if all, what's, again, just predict, I, I'm not predicting this part of it necessarily, like, but a, an awesome way to watch a bunch of, a handful, some of these pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies in the Gates Foundation who are develop, trying to develop these highfalutin, new age, uh, uh, nanotech, whatever, fucking... <laughs> new kinds of vaccines uh, would be to see them just eat shit when there's just way cheaper vaccines based mm -hmm. on old vaccine technology that a lot of the rest of the world and companies are pursuing because why wouldn't you? We know how to make fucking vaccines. Like, yeah, this is just a new virus. You just need to do the work, put the work in. Like they started pretty early. It's just, it just takes time. There's probably within like weeks of the coronavirus being discovered, there was like the beginnings in labs, in petri dishes, of the vaccine that will ultimately like be used on people. It just takes time to find the specific one that actually works without hurting people and is effective. And what would be awesome to see is some of these companies and the Gates Foundation eat shit in this global market for vaccines because their vaccine is expensive and sucks. <laughs> and there's all these cheap, normal-ass, old-school vaccines going around out of other companies wherever including china yeah and it's it, you know it reminds me of if you ever like pushed for socialized medicine or anything like that particularly in the pre-bernie era one of the pushbacks you'd always get was like well oh. you know the private u.s healthcare system leads the world in med you know leads the way in medical technologies and things like we that we need this, this innovation to make all that bullshit. money so they because they put it into how are they going to develop those dick pill drugs well yeah, exactly. when people used to just you know argue like straight facedly that like that's a good, right? Like we have the most high tech like healthcare system there is. And, you know, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But the one thing you can't argue against is it obviously has no impact on, you know, at least a positive impact on health outcomes in the United States, which are the worst in the industrial world. So again, it, it highlights what's actually going on here, which has nothing to do with what we might think of as normal idiot peons is the actual function of health and public health, healthcare, et cetera, which is to make people better and to hopefully prevent them from dying. What's actually this is about is patents and little fiefdoms of, you know, patent control that allow these companies to just pry money out of people. And, you know, that's what the Gates Foundation is at its heart. Yeah, I'm not sure if either one of you saw this because we didn't talk about about it, um, but there was a article in Defector that took a similar argument against Hyperloop, and 
it was pretty good. I'd recommend it. It was called Virgin Hyperloop has invented the world's crappiest high-speed rail. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the thrust of it. It's exactly the same that this is some pathology yeah. that for some reason Americans need to spend all their points on researching technology at the expense of Instead just solving of just the problem. Infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No. Look, that. yeah, that's the whole, that, that is being laid bare before our eyes, man. Like, you know, in fine, you know, investigating new fucking vaccine technologies is great for the fucking next pandemic. My God, like, mm-hmm. but like it's a side project to actually doing the work. Well, when there's a know? fucking raging pandemic, why would you put the idea you would be trying to invent a new exciting vaccine technology for COVID-19 is fundamentally stupid and insane. And any and any in a in a again, a, a better communist uh, world health system if some factory some you know lab put forward like a proposal to like create an M- an mrna vaccine that had never been tried before because it's probably the next gen technology in vaccines while there's a pandemic raging you would tell them to shut the fuck up nope <laughs> back of the line come back with a proposal after i hear every other one and yeah. you're not going to get picked don't even bother that's your funding <laughs> is cut go fuck yourself like we just need to get through this. Like we need a, we need vaccines now. You need to start being able to make them now. You don't need to invent mm-hmm. the technology because to then, fuck, man. Like it's insane. But yeah. whatever. During the pandemic, Latin America has suffered one third of the world's deaths. Africa has now passed two million cases. Quarantines and trade shutdowns have hit poor countries especially hard. Where not working often means not eating. Some public health advocates and on-the-ground providers like Doctors Without Borders thought Gates was doing too little to to pursue equitable access to vaccines and was too aligned with the pharmaceutical industry. Part of what they like about him is he's protecting their way of life. James Love, director of Knowledge Knowledge Ecology International, a nonprofit that works to expand access to medical technology instead of Gates and drug industry executives, because this message is always, Big Pharma is awesome. (laughs) yeah james love he gets it (laughs) he and others believe that vaccine makers would not maximize production for the developing world especially when rich countries were clamoring for doses because it wouldn't serve their bottom line india and south africa in asking the world trade organization not to enforce coronavirus related intellectual property rights were seeking a way to wrest control of vaccines from big companies and ramp up local manufacturing Kenya, Mozambique, Pakistan, and Eswatini, formerly Swaziland, recently signed on as co-sponsors to the request, with dozens of other countries expressing support. But Gates, which is great, because their uh, opinion actually means nothing in the World Trade Organization. <laughs> uh, the G7 can just shoot that shit down, or the G8 can shoot that shit down. But whatever. But yeah, I mean, we, we when you see the alignment of forces here, right? The first world on one side and the third world on the other. Pretty uh, easy to see what's going on here. Well, like this whole, like you know deals arrangement that they're trying to work out like is based on a mode of production that is like of which scarcity is a factor right like Mm -hmm. this doesn't have to be this way at all like we could even even within uh i mean we can't because these they're the, the people in power have the prerogatives they do but like you know if uh, the world elite wanted to make a decision to like uh well let's just like do the right thing here you could make you could produce vaccines for everybody and get this shit over with uh in pretty short order once uh safe vaccines are developed but they're just like from the outset like the understanding is that's not going to happen we're going to slowly milk the money out of this over time 
and you know getting the money out of this does not include like rapidly blasting out a you know eight billion vaccines for the entire world that's just not gonna that's not how the game works for our profits so we're gonna do it slowly and now we just figure out who, who needs to die first but Gates and many public health experts thought that most companies were taking laudable steps to help ensure access, such as nonprofit pricing and licensing of their technology to other manufacturers. They argued that drug makers wouldn't take on the costly process of creating new products if their lucrative patents were jeopardized and that their control over their vaccines would ensure quality and safety. This capitalism thing, there actually are some domains that actually works in, Gates said. North Korea doesn't have that many vaccines, as far as we can tell. Got them. Yeah, no, I mean, the funny part about that is that uh, North Korea also doesn't have a massive COVID-19 outbreak either. You know, uh, granted... They don't have a lot of things also, um, but he doesn't use China as an example. No, no, that's what I was about to say too, because the funny part is, forget China too. How about a small, tiny island that has been under siege for 50 fucking years from the and largest actually is military power? Unlike fucking yeah. China. Yeah, right. yeah, unlike North Korea, right? But is an actually, it has been besieged by the largest military power in human history since and did this weird thing. Where, yeah, created an infant AIDS vaccine. Weird that he doesn't want to bring up Cuba. Interesting. I wonder if there's some sort of motivation there. But yeah. And you know, they're going to come out with a baller vaccine like a, an awesome vaccine like the one you want to take i would trust the cuban vaccine yeah. over anything yeah yeah i 100 will work i would trust if they make one it's a gonna cuban work. doctor over any i would trust any day but yeah i mean and again you know hilariously putting off some of the stuff too of the you know the, with the north korea example that i guess we're all supposed to be scared of but at the same time too it's like your country the one you live in that's the one that's fucking this up Right. Like it's your country is the Petri dish of the fucking planet that is has covid fucking raging in it. Who's never even had it remotely under control at any moment, like or even tried. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. How about Just that? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know, shut the fuck up. But hey, man, he's a citizen of the world. Or yeah. excuse me. He's a god among men is what <laughs> I meant to say. <laughs> Yeah, just one other thing to add. It rocks that he picked a country that is actively under sanctions and basically has had their been hamstrung in any mm -hmm. way to develop an economy. Or yeah, he might as well yeah. have said like uh, Iraq doesn't have many vaccines yeah. in development or Gaza, like, as far as we know. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Holy shit! And again, I mean, North Korea's taking steps that I would not suggest as far as preventing COVID, but. You don't have to take it from them. You can you know, read reports on the CSIS, which is like a psychopathic American imperial fucking think tank. Uh, they have not had a big outbreak. So again, shut the fuck up. Your country is the one that fucking is, you know, not only uh, rampant with COVID, but it's the, probably the number one source of its international spread. So, yeah. Yeah. Fuck you, Bill Gates. How about that? And fuck <laughs> you, America. Yeah. Pretty much. This is that portion of the show where yeah. we once again call for the destruction of the state. Yeah. yeah. All right, next heading, acting like a lobbyist. Bill Gates had a long record of getting rich countries to provide funding for public health initiatives to poorer countries. From Merkel to McConnell, politicians saw him as a steward of public dollars with a nose for good investments. He's a sweet little <laughs> truffle pig. <laughs> he's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, he's got a nose for investments like a, a Jeffrey Epstein. Or <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love it. it. Just reeks of like the criminality of the 2008 financial crash. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> 
he has immediate access to us because of his fame and reputation and what he's doing with his own money, McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, said in an interview. <laughs> Just unbelievable. Holy shit. In many of these countries, he's way more effective than the government is, and that's certainly value added for public health all over the world. Well, let's take it from the turtle in the let's take it from yeah. one of the key figures in the empire, the global empire that has had made world governments so fucking ineffective. Yeah, but also one of the most odious political figures in a country that's produced the most odious political figures on the planet. I mean, just astonishing. Leaders of wealthy countries were asked not only to help fund the initiative, which was supporting development of nine potential vaccines, but also to buy doses for their own populations. Among the nine was a version from, from Moderna, which recently announced impressive clinical trial results. As the deal makers framed it, even nations that already had commitments from vaccine makers would benefit by diversifying. Yeah, have you, have either of you diversified your vaccine portfolio? <laughs> what I like is what they're implying here too is that uh, hey I know you've already like struck uh, you know deals you know exclusive deals with various uh, pharmaceuticals how about you buy up all the rest of the supply as well <laughs> you know? companies either would charge all countries the same price or set tiered prices for low middle and high income nations <laughs> any could bow out if the price exceeded $21 per dose Poor countries could get cheap, subsidized doses for up to 20% of their populations by the end of next year. But the wealthier nations could sign up for more. Hell yeah. I'm glad we're going to means test the vaccine. <laughs> Pay to win, man. <laughs> Clemens Martin Auer, a chief, negotiator for the, a chief negotiator for the European Union, balked, believing that the global vaccine deal was moving too slowly, that prices would be too high, and that Europe could do better negotiating on its own. I think the Gates Foundation has, in many respects, a very practical approach when they say this has to be done in a private-public business partnership, he said. But I sometimes have my impression that the Gates Foundation doesn't understand how well-organized governments work. <laughs> Zing. Yeah, got us. With so many <laughs> attention on wealthy nations, there was little consultation with those the effort was intended to help most. It wasn't until the fall that lower-income countries learned they would have to pay $1.60 or $2 per dose, a significant price that would require some to secure bank loans or grants. Oh, weird. I wonder when they go to get those bank loans, who they're going to get them from. Right? <laughs> you know? I mean, this is... This is modern imperialism, right? You know, you use things like copyright law and patent law to essentially force these like onerous prices that are only high because of these horrifying regimes, uh, copyright regimes. You force countries to buy things at these onerous prices when they don't have the money to buy it. You then force them to take loans, of course, from you naturally at rates that'll be of your choosing with conditions of your choosing. Right. And you see how this sort of process just continues to spiral down and down. And it's, I mean, it's fucking disgusting. It's fucking gross. That and this idea of like selling at $2 a dose, you know, the United States, you're like, well, I'd pay $2 for a COVID vaccine. And you forget that for huge chunks of the world, you know, $2 a day is like the wage, you know? Yeah. So imagine paying a day's fucking wages, which maybe at this point you'd be willing to do, but you also are, uh, you know, living hand to mouth and starving, right? You know, <laughs> like you're, you're living paycheck to paycheck in the yeah. way that these people are. But yeah. It's going to be subsidized, yes, but countries still have to budget for their copay amount, said Chizaba Barbara Wanodi. <laughs> Literally bringing the American healthcare system to the world. Yeah. The, uh, well, it's like, it's also, it's not ultimately going to be about the cost. Like, yes, probably at the end of the day, like the end user cost in a lot of places is going to be reasonable, right? But it's when are they going to fucking get it, man? Mm -hmm. And who has paid out 
what has the government paid out a fucking to get them that four years from now? That's what the cost is. That's what they're talking about right there. Is the where cost is, the is what they would have put on debt. the government. Yes. Yeah. Where where how have they driven these governments in further into debt to the fucking IMF and the World Bank? Uh to cov- to get these two dollar vaccines to people fucking in twenty twenty four, you know? Yeah. So that was the Nigeria the Nigeria director at the Johns Hopkins International Vaccine Access Center, who continued, So they need to be at the table when those discussions are made. Some middle income countries have also felt squeezed, asked to pay prices in a higher tier with little say as to what they would get or when they would get it. Zavalos, the Ecuadorian health minister, said he had spoken with fellow ministers in the region about raising concerns through their presidents. They say, you don't get to choose, but you pay. Zavalos said, I'm disappointed. With coronavirus cases multiplying worldwide, Gates said there would be one simple way to judge the global vaccine initiative. When did we stop the pandemic? That's the thing this all needs to be measured by. Yeah, and again, I mean, as the article pointed out over and over again, when did we stop the pandemic? So we have a different answer depending on whether your country is poor or rich, right? If it's poor, well, that's going to be well into the future. If it's rich, maybe it'll be sooner, but we'll see, right? We and, still haven't fucking stamped out polio in this in the globe, right? Yeah. So 70 years from now, there's still going to be COVID in some places, okay? Mm-hmm. Because that's how the world works. Yeah, and I, mean, I, I think there's good evidence in this sort of article too, right? That the idea is not even about stomping out COVID or anything like that. The idea is about one, again, patent regimes. But the other thing is about tying up these countries and debt obligations and things like that, right? To make them, you know, uh, more uh, susceptible or more, uh, you know, friendly to American rule uh, over them. It's, uh, it's a horrifying article. <laughs> I'm glad I can <laughs> glad we can share it with everybody for Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's always nice to check in on the Gates Foundation. It's no surprise that they're at the center of uh, the current hell we're living in, and mm-hmm. they're really uh, our best hope. Well, maybe our second best hope. Here's holding out for President Xi. Well, that that was delightful. Uh, stay tuned, everyone, for more Thanksgiving extravaganza entertainment. But first, a word from one of our sponsors. From the creative genius that brought you Let's Get Depressed, The Fall of the Soviet Union, comes the podcast event of the season. (laughs) First, they told you about Truman's rise to power. Yeah, the doctors all agreed his head was way softer than a normal kid's skull. Now they tell you about his bloody reign. I think even Rush would agree that the Clinton body count ain't got nothing on uh, Mr. Truman here. It's a story about war. Truman looked MacArthur right in the eye and said, Listen here, flyboy. You're holding on too tight. You've lost your edge. You know, Mal might, have, might not have supported defunding the police, but he definitely supported reinvesting in a people's army about political maneuvering. When, when Eleanor Roosevelt found out that Truman created the fair deal, she got really mad at him for co-opting FDR's New Deal. You better be careful with that Green New Deal, AOC. And about love. Truman wrote in his diary, I told Bess it's called sounding, and I've never seen her more excited. And I was like, wah, 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 wah. You've seen the rise of Harry Truman, 
Did you know that Truman actually designed this whistle stop tour? in 1948 based on Mao's long march. You know, he just added the training. Now join us this December for the fall of the man they called Harry the Butcher Truman. Bess and Margaret found Harry standing buck naked in the rose garden weeping. Margaret said, you're holding on too tight, Dad. You've lost your edge. And that changed everything. Only on Mechanical Freak Presents. If, if Alger Hiss were alive today, He'd be in the Democratic Socialists of America, but he'd deny it. <laughs> Holy shit. That's also going in. Uh, hello? <laughs> Hey, Matt. Matt. Hey, it's your friends from Seattle Sox. Oh, man. Wow. Hey, guys. How's it going? <laughs> good, good. You know, we're just sitting here on Nyad, just having our Thanksgiving dinner here that we tr- always have traditionally together, the three of us, and calling our close personal friends like you. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, I'm just just chilling. All those weed edibles that I eat on Thanksgiving just kicked in trying to so eat this whole talk. turkey myself. Yeah, so you oh, can yeah, I guess, so yeah. So you're free. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, just, you know, just usual me. solo Thanksgiving, just trying to eat this whole turkey myself. <laughs> you know. Oh, wow. That sounds really sad. Um, I bet you're really glad we called. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. have we got some shit to talk about? Yeah. But first off, Matt, I wanted to ask, you're, you are the show's China expert, and uh, <laughs> you have a PhD in China studies. Chinaology. Uh, you have, oh boy! <laughs> you have lived at various times in China. I just wanted to ask you: describe for us the perfect Chinese Thanksgiving dinner. Oh yeah! Well, so first off, Gananjia Kuala, everyone. That means Happy Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> hey, that's something that we can't check up on. <laughs> get, guess, take guess your word what? for it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get a tattoo yeah, you know, of that. <laughs> I already have one. <laughs> yeah, so unsurprisingly, Thanksgiving. That's how you know or, how to say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> tattoo artist told it, 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 it isn't the characters. It's just like the letters scribbled on my arm. <laughs> but, yeah, okay. Um, okay. Uh, you know, yeah, unsurprisingly, it's everyone's favorite holiday in Thanksgiving, the biggest holiday. Mao founded it, I believe. Um, <laughs> well, well, Thanksgiving sounding way cooler all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's surprisingly anti-colonial. Like, I don't like, I don't know where we all got this whole like settler colonial vibe going on, but, mm-hmm. but the, the origin is in fact a, a progressive people's war resisting. Yeah. Well, everybody was hungry but, uh, after that long march, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, there people don't care about Thanksgiving in China, obviously. <laughs> um, one, the one time I was living there, when, when it when it was Thanksgiving, I went to a hotel buffet that had some Western food, and it was fine. <laughs> but um, <laughs> how do they watch Friends if they don't understand Thanksgiving? <laughs> So I was trying to like make sure that I that I got this kind of right earlier today and was doing a little bit of research just like okay like my sense this of experience show? Why? Of, of, <laughs> just, just like a tad of being in China was that like people really don't care about Thanksgiving and like that is true. I did come up with this amusing South China Morning Post article about how 
Thanksgiving is growing in China. Uh, and it was referencing specifically that people on social media are now referencing Thanksgiving and hashtags more. For instance, the hashtag Thanksgiving, thanks to you, was viewed more than 8 million times on China's Twitter like Weibo as part of a seasonal campaign backed by U.S. car maker Ford. So, you know, <laughs> they're jumping uh, yeah. straight into Black Friday, I guess. <laughs> but, um, That's uh, yeah, awesome. Well, I, I, as we know, Thanksgiving... Uh, was you know part of Mao's cultural revolution, but uh, Black Friday is purely dengist. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they meant, like capitalist roaders was they meant the road to the Best Buy where you wait to get your team yeah, yeah. Black Friday yeah. special team deal. <laughs> you drive um, your Ford to the Best Buy and eat a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you. Uh, how's that? Uh, how's that COVID situation going in China these days? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's going awesome. Like, you know, yeah, no sarcasm. It's going awesome in China. They have oh. like, Oh, wait, hold on. Wait, wait, back up, back up. We're, we're, we're not used to this kind of COVID news. Wait a minute. Wait, what? what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like, so, you know, a reference point, some people might've seen that like a few months ago in August, like everyone was circulating these images of a pool party in Wuhan which was, you know, this was three months ago even. And like, yeah, but, and like the Western media discourse was kind of like, this seems irresponsible or, you know, <laughs> what is China thinking? Or like, what's the image this presents to the world? And like the image that presents to the world is that, yeah, no, like they did it, like they had a very strict lockdown and it worked and they are now very good at stopping COVID outbreaks. And it now worked they can along with parties. everything else they're doing, presumably. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah, but like, like, but like very serious lockdowns, serious contact mm -hmm. tracing, like giving people like food and support to stay home when they need it. But like, yeah, it like worked the first time and they did it and it worked the first time. And now like stuff is cool. I will say like, um, you know, my sense is that like life obviously isn't entirely back to normal. There is still fear of COVID outbreaks. There are like periodic new cases that pop up and like certain regions get new regional restrictions placed on them. And there are lots of sort of apps on people's social on people's phones that will register whether they um you know have had a test recently and they can see where there are um you know active cases and whatnot but yeah no it's it, it's it's going going well so <laughs> <laughs> wish i was there <laughs> well there only an ocean only a vast ocean separates them from the great petri dish that is america yeah, yeah. growing the culture of coronavirus oh God, like yeah. it's its fucking yeah. job well, I mean, at least we have freedom here, though, you know? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> freedom it, to die day. with a tube day into your lungs. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's like, it's wild, but like, if you like, like, again, like reading Western media discourse to like the present moment about, about COVID response in China, like, you still get the like, the ridiculous bullshit of like, this was very effective, but it's authoritarian. Whereas in the mm -hmm. U.S., at least we've preserved freedom or whatever. <laughs> but like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, yeah. Speaking of like uh, wild Western media takes on all of this, um, perhaps you saw a little Bloomberg article uh, by someone named Tyler Cohen, um, possibly another Chinaologist like yourself. Uh, <laughs> titled covid is increasing america's lead over china as the post-pandemic world take order takes shape it's clear like every sentence of this the post-pandemic world order <laughs> this, it's not over no it's it it is 
it is completely out of control. <laughs> yeah, no, like I was reading this article and thinking about like who this person is. And it's like, you know, a like dark mirror, like parallel universe version of like who I could have become if I like fully embraced evil or something. And like also not reading ever <laughs> or thinking about things. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that is <laughs> not to like toot my own horn too much because like I don't do that much reading anymore, and who cares? <laughs> but like, still, it's just like, yeah, no, like this this article is completely out of control. Like he's talking about how like America, you know, has proved that it's not a nation of softies now because mm-hmm. we're all dying. <laughs> Dude, like that's the sum up, but like it gets so it's like every sentence is so bizarre. So like, there is one other factor that people are loath to discuss. Yes, the U.S. has botched its response to COVID-19. At the same time, its experience shows that America as a nation can, in fact, tolerate casualties. (laughs) Too many, in fact. What the fuck? First of all, I love this because it's like the Zap Brannigan fucking rule of diplomacy here of like, we'll show the uh, nefarious Chinese that we're willing to sacrifice as many of our people as necessary. Just wave after wave of human wave attacks. Oh my God. That language of like tolerating casualty, like implies that like we are fighting a war with China involving covid or something and it's just what <laughs> but it, like, it, it's just like laying it bare yes we are we're tolerating casualties by sublimating them by mm. pretending they're not yeah. real by not acknowledging anything is happening by uh the hyper normalization that has taken hold here where everyone understands that the government is useless and can't do anything and no problems can be solved and just goes on about their daily life meanwhile the i mean it's the first sentence was, oh, China's doing China's doing very well and America botched it. You know, it's like, well, that's that's oh, it yeah. right there. That's the whole that's the takeaway. Everything you read out of this, like uh, you know, okay, start with the vaccines themselves. China has done surprisingly well, and some of its vaccines <laughs> are likely to prove sufficiently effective and safe. Uh, I love the condescending tone of that. Like, oh, they've done surprisingly well for (laughs) the largest country on earth with a massive industrial and scientific, you know, economy. Okay. But the U.S. working with German, with the German BioNTech company. So we're talking about the U.S. versus China, but like now we're talking about a German company has produced an entire new kind of vaccine platform, namely mRNA vaccines. They can be quickly manufactured, blah, blah, blah. So the U.S. gets to pull in its Western allies who it is. I, I think the implication is it's paying, you know, the U.S. is partially funding this yeah. uh, vaccine project by this German company who we know have yeah created this mRNA style vaccine, which from what I've read is like untransportable say like uh preservable or distributable basically <laughs> um, it's, the, it's the one that like you know has to be like stored at like minus 70 degrees yeah. and like has a like a one day expiration or something and needs to be taken three times this is great but it goes on to like talk about how like this is like uh you know uh an example of how uh, the US quote unquote is like on the forefront of technology whereas the Chinese are you know, they're, they've got all these several vaccine projects going, but they're all old style vaccines, you know? Sure. They'll work. Uh, <laughs> but and they might um, be practical to distribute, but like, you yeah. know, they're not. And, as and cool. yeah, they're ramping up their production methods uh, quickly. Uh, but, 
you know, to be able to distribute to their massive population, possibly lots of the rest of the world. But, you know, the U.S. is paying a German company to come up with a new a next level technology, you know, in the middle of a global pandemic. Not like looking like 10 years down the road of the next pandemic to come up with the level. But like literally it's ravaging our country now. And it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we have, yeah, there's proven vaccine technologies, but look what we're doing with this bullshit. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's Disrupting fucking amazing. It. And then they go on yeah, to talk yeah, about, like, like, why try and make, yeah. No, no, go on. Like, like, why try and make something that is practical when you can, like, increase shareholder value with this, mm-hmm. you know, impressive technological well, think, achievement. And it's, yeah, no, it's, well, it, it's wild, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think the most important thing is, so, like, the Gates Foundation is heavily invested in this German vaccine, and I think uh, we can all agree uh, from, you know, an article we'll be talking about on this show about the Gates Foundation, uh, is that, yeah, when it's when it's a forward-looking, technologically advanced innovation, it means more patents and more copyrights, which means more money if it works <laughs> you know yeah or i guess just yeah. when you force uh, states to buy it from you anyways even when it doesn't work but yeah it's it's real charming i am glad to hear that uh china's decided to uh not go down this road with us <laughs> it seems like a smart choice on their part gonna say yeah yeah <laughs> once again wish i was spending thanksgiving there <laughs> <laughs> well may- maybe you can help like decode the you know in your your chinaology uh expertise decode the chinese thinking about like their scientific economy because um the author here makes an interesting point uh the point stands in other areas of technology as well if you're wondering whether china or the u.s with its allies is more likely to make a big breakthrough in say quantum computing ask yourself a simple question which network will better attract talented immigrants the more that talent and innovation are found around the world the more that helps the u.s um first of all so it's apparently it's china versus the u.s and its allies never mind the fact that like right now talking about coronavirus the u.s is like doing uniquely badly now uh, western europe isn't doing great in a lot of places either they're having a spike as well but we've seen them be able to get it under control much better than the united states and they will probably have a much better winter and overall germany while not doing as well as China or some other Asian nations or even some other European nations are doing okay. But like China has how many billions of people? 1.4, I believe something so, like that. Yeah. So, and they're like, they're educating engineers and scientists that like the U S needs as immigrants to do technology. Right. But Absolutely, that doesn't mean yeah. Yeah. that isn't, isn't that, Am I wrong in thinking it's a little backwards to imagine that this guy imagines that like China has the same fucking problem? Like they they don't need the immigrants to who are like getting like trained as engineers and scientists because they're fucking doing it in house with yeah, one point yeah, four billion people. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely true, and it, I mean, and it is true that like you know many thousands of of Chinese students who are graduate students and undergraduates as well, like come to the U S every year to like get degrees and then more and more like, yeah, like going, like the idea isn't to like stay in the U S and like, you know, <laughs> work for mm-hmm. Google or something. It's like to, to go, to go home to China too. And like, that's probably shifting too, but yeah, no, like there are like amazing engineering universities, amazing universities in general in China that are training people who are in-house experts to do all this stuff. And like, yes, they do not need us at all. And I think like, I don't know, thinking about like this, these innovation questions, I think 
all the like fire and fury over TikTok and WeChat from the Trump administration these past few months are this great example that it's just like it's all bullshit and that like no it's like America like like people are beginning to recognize that like yeah no like like China has is producing its own technological and and scientific innovations they do not need the U.S. and that is why part of, like part of the what the reason why like the U.S. is engaging in these like ridiculous. Um, economic disputes over innovations like tiktok and whatnot so you know yeah well <laughs> it sounds like uh once again things are going great and i for one look forward to this new cold war um matt thanks for coming on thanks for letting us bother you yeah. during thanksgiving and yeah. uh we'll have to you know look we we have a long-standing order that we have to watch uh was it Wolf what Wolf Project Two or whatever the fuck it was called? <laughs> Wolf, Wolf Warrior. Warrior. <laughs> Wolf Warrior Two. We have a standing order to watch Wolf Warrior Two together. So very exciting. So, right, you well. know, someday when we can like see each other in person again, I you know, yep. three years from now, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Someday, five years from now, uh, after uh, China, after G takes over the United States and as his first act of mercy cures COVID in the U.S., uh, then we can watch Wolf Warrior 2 together. Hopefully by then, there'll be a Wolf Warrior 3 that we can follow it up with. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. Hey, thanks for letting us bother you at Thanksgiving. Yeah, it, yeah. I had a little break. Maybe you've got room for another drumstick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll make it through this 12-pound turkey. <laughs> <laughs> okay thanks the again, smallest man. i could find all right happy thanksgiving everyone <laughs> you know thanksgiving it's all about catching up with friends and matt is one of our friends he sure it's is. good to catch up with them okay well gosh guys you know uh i am just loaded up on cranberry sauce and stuffing uh from my old family recipe before pie, I, I, I want to hear, you know, what I think a lot of people have been waiting for. A lot of the gamer Americans who listen <laughs> to Seattle Sucks want to know what's on, uh, what's perched up on Colin's Gaming Corner this year. What's, uh, what's game, what's Colin putting in the hours on? Colin, what, what have you been playing? Well, thank you for asking, Greg. Um, as you know, the time has come once again, my chosen gamers. To be frank, the cycle has been grim. Throughout this epoch, we have seen friends and family become more remote and illusory than any VTuber dreamed not to be. Server lag more severe than ever before. Now that the holy tubes of our lady internet are clogged by telecommuting neighbors and the nonstop streaming of bellicose binge-watching children, and of course, there are the copious ill effects to our body and organs, most notably the pancreas, after being subjected to innumerable nutritional horrors from which they may never recover. You have you learned do right now. <laughs> I wish, man. You have learned, as I have, the painful lesson that the only respite from the interminable cruelty of this world on fire is in the cold blue glow cast from the bright screen before your eyes. The thing that illuminates your wan face washing you, cleansing you in the purity of its divine light. That's right, you're back in Colin's Gaming Corner. And if you're wondering, yes, I am still boxed in right here by newspaper. It's uh, really piling up now, like uh, stalagmites entombing me, but uh, sort of started to blacken with spores. 
There's mold, fungus. It really stinks down here. But that's not entirely the fault of the freaks. Oh, and uh, Alex Peterson got out. Sorry about that. <laughs> I, I should warn you that he didn't exactly turn into a butterfly when he emerged from that uh, grotesque chrysalis of spit he'd been building. I know that, like any gamer gotten good, your patience is waning and your digits fidget for spinning, adrenaline, adventuring, and honestly, just plain violence. So here are three games for this Thanksgiving or whatever ends up happening. Probably <laughs> unfathomable and unnecessary loss of life where that holiday was supposed to be. So the first game is Getting Over It with Bennett Foddy. Foddy is the infamous designer of Quop, and he's created a game that has been said by some of the gaming intelligentsia to perfectly capture the experience of life, at least metaphorically, and at least my life, not metaphorically, and that you're faced with the meaningless task of climbing a seemingly never-ending, insurmountable pile of trash with only a hammer to do so all from the safety of a metal cauldron that you inhabit. From where we sit, in the middle of an insurmountable pile of trash, which is the unique and irredeemable failure of America in the face of COVID-19, tasked with continuing to exist in a seemingly never-ending lockdown, facing insurmountable pressure in nearly every dimension that is possible, it's clear to me that what has been said about this game and its metaphor before this year may never have been more true than it is right now. The second game is Moon Remix RPG Adventure. <laughs> this is an unconventional RPG released on PlayStation. Yeah, that's right. Not PlayStation's 5, 4, 3, 2, or even 1, but PlayStation in 1997. And it garnered a cult <laughs> following, and it's now available for the first time in America with an official English translation on the Nintendo Switch. Continuing on the theme, Moon subverts the genre by putting the player at the periphery of a conventional hero story, wherein the player must attempt to right the wrongs and pick up the pieces in the aftermath of this other hero's grotesque and inhumane journey. It, rem it reminds me a lot of living as a private citizen at the end of history. <laughs> the third and final game is Factorio, which is a construction and management, in quotes, game from Woob Software, that released in the year we all died, 2016. <laughs> when Weapon failed to protect the planet from Meteor after a runaway algorithm, affectionately called Genova by its creator, Robbie Mook, accidentally summoned it with black materia it bought on the dark web with untraceable Bitcoin after erroneously determining that it would most likely increase voter turnout or perhaps bring about a new <laughs> Third Reich. <laughs> but enough about the simulation. In Factorio, in Factorio, you find yourself on an alien planet, and your only hope is to extract and build efficiently and ruthlessly until you reach escape velocity, a portent, perhaps, of most of humanity's future in the hands of very real boy, Jeff Bezos. In the time that it took me to read this, several of your islands in Animal Crossing New Horizons have sprouted patches of unsightly weeds, Disappointing denizens invested in whatever it is that Tom Nook is selling today. For you, unfortunate members of that category, when you play these games, it will all have been worth it. Oh, what's that? It's time for my slop? Thank you, kind freaks. Oh, one last thing. Remember, gamer girl pee is sterile. You can drink it. <laughs> oh, what a beautiful Thanksgiving sentiment, Colin. Thank uh, you. 
always a pleasure to step into Colin's gaming corner. <laughs> <laughs> it's to see what's going on in there. Just root around <laughs> in it like you go really into your under, crawl space. Not really sure I understood <laughs> any of it. Well, I, I just, you know, while we're here, will Crusader Kings 3 run on my 2014 MacBook Air? Probably for not. which I opted the minimum processor, and to the astonishment of the salesman, I'm, I I asked him to take out half the RAM to knock a hundred bucks off it. So, well, you know that's all very interesting, Greg. But how about we give one of our friends a call? Yeah, I think it's time to reach out to another friend on Thanksgiving. So uh, let's hit that dialer. Hello? Hey, Marina. Hey. It's your friends. Hey. It's, it's Seattle hey. Sucks podcast. Going to wish you happy Thanksgiving. Oh, hey. Hey. Uh, yeah. Hey. I mean, thanks. you're not busy, right? Uh, I mean. Um, oh, good. So you are perfectly good to talk to us then. Yeah. You know, right. Sure. Let me. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, whatever you got to do. But you, you're ready to talk to us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, good, good, good. Perfect. I mean, is everything okay? okay? Are you guys okay? Yeah, we're just enjoying Thanksgiving dinner on the boat. Okay, uh, It's okay. me and Brian and Colin. The sea. Okay. Yeah, we're just rocking in the waves here. Just and, hanging uh, out, enjoying huh? a, a delicious bone-dry turkey dinner. <laughs> just like mom used to make. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, we wanted to check in with you. Um... You know, we're doing a little anthropological project here. We want to know how does the American service working class celebrate Thanksgiving? Oh, well, most of the places, most restaurants, this is one of the two days in the year that they actually shut down, hmm. which is nice. Seems like. Seems like a loss leader. Like maybe you know. I mean, if you're shut down, you're not making money by definition. Right, right. Which is why some other places stay open. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Uh, Tell me more. Because you know, everybody after being with their family needs to go drink. So (laughs) you will find places that are open. Only one place that I have ever worked of the myriad of restaurants and bars from here to LA to Chicago has been open on Thanksgiving day and Christmas day. And that was my dive bar that I worked at in the South side in Chicago. Uh, I was lucky enough to not have to work, um, that Thanksgiving. Understandably it is open on that day because everybody in the neighborhood is kind of like a family. So that's where everybody goes to be together, to have Thanksgiving at the Cove. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, most of that sounds nicer than most Thanksgivings I've ever had. You know, it was actually a fantastic time. I had such a good time, you know, ate a bunch of food in my house, went to the bar, got really, really drunk and uh, yeah, stumbled home. It was fantastic. But most other places are closed, allowing for, uh, you know, the workers to be where they need to be just that day, though. So if you have travel time. <laughs> if you have to account for travel time, then you're losing wages because you need to take time off before and after the day. So, mm-hmm. you know, well, it's nice to get a day off. Uh, if you're like a cook, 
it's nice to get a day off for a holiday that just involves you cooking. Yeah. You know, like, of course. Out of the kitchen, into the kitchen. You into know, that's kitchen. what I always say. <laughs> How is it working at a bar on Thanksgiving? Because I definitely have been in a bar on Thanksgiving night, and I feel like uh, it was pretty good for me. I was drunk. I don't know how good it was for any of the bartenders. <laughs> uh, I mean, I didn't have to work that that night. You know, the Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving, so that was good. Um, but I mean, I don't know. It was just kind of like a regular day. You know, all the same familiar faces. This is one of those like neighborhood dives where it's like you can you can project how much money you're going to make every day because you know exactly who's coming in and exactly what they're going to drink <laughs> and exactly how much they're going to tip you. So it's kind of like being salaried almost. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the kind of place to be, man. Yeah. Well, what, what about this year? What about in 2020? Oh. What's going on with Thanksgiving at restaurants uh, in Washington State right now? Well, uh, they're definitely going to be shut down on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am currently unemployed uh, as of last Saturday. The uh, congratulations! Yeah, well, <laughs> shut down due to the due to the second shutdown. Um, mm-hmm. Restaurants, restaurants, and bars aren't fully shut down. You just can't sit people inside. So, so in this, so did like a lot of service workers end up then becoming unemployed because of this? Yes. And um, I assume there's some sort of massive federal aid package though for for all of y'all to help keep you afloat, right? Right. All of our George Soros checks are on the way. Uh, I was checking the tracking oh. on those today. So well, that's mine, only because you're an officer in Antifa. But what about the rest of the proletariat? Right. The rest of the proletariat. Well, you know, there's got to be food on the table somehow. So. If you're going to eat anybody, I would say eat the rich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you got my bow tie spinning. <laughs> maybe, maybe we can lure them into an outdoor dining area uh, for the premise of dinner. And, and, you know, as they come in, they'll only then notice that they're on the menu. Right. You know, like a big a big boiling fat. We're like, hey, are you deep frying a turkey? <laughs> sort of. Sort of. Turkey. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but seriously, like, um. What do you make of, you know, you're on the ground and you're uh, following what's going on. Like, what do you make of this round of um, quasi restaurant shutdown? First of all, it does seem to be like the only actual piece of the shutdown is like personal admonishment of like, don't do anything outside of work uh, ever with anyone and don't go to restaurants. But like, What's your perspective on it? So you've obviously been laid off. Like, how, like, does it make sense? Like, what is it like for people who are still working in these places that are, which are quite a lot of places that ha- are doing takeout still or some kind of patio or tent dining or auxiliary building dining that is sort of supposedly outdoors? Right. Um, well, after working my ass off for the last four months after getting the call back to work, just insanely busy at my spot every day, like an hour wait every day. Cause that's what you're supposed to be doing during a pandemic. Right. Um, and <laughs> waiting in line for the restaurant, <laughs> waiting in line to go eat at this restaurant. And, you know, in that strange mental space of being like, wow, it's really busy. Great. We're going to make a lot of money today and tips, but then also being like, why are there hundreds of people coming out to eat right now? So <laughs> it was a very strange mental space to occupy for four months. 
And I worked an insane amount um, to save up as much money to outrun the inevitable second shutdown, which we are now in. Um, knowing that, you know, there was going to be no other $600 federal aid boost. Who knows what, who knows what packages they're going to be having for unemployment. I don't know. Uh, I am definitely one of the more fortunate ones to, you know, to feel relieved at this shutdown, which is a lot of the, um, you know, the talking points that anti COVID shutdown, you know, right wing talking points are like, well, they, you know, these workers, they want to go to work. You know, if you talk to them, they say that they, they need to go to work. And it's like, yeah, they, they're saying they need to go to work because there's no help. (laughs) There's no help to keep them at home. Uh, some of my, you know, some of the chefs in the back of house, you know, I was talking to them once we all went back and some of them got, none of their unemployment came in. They were not able to to file, or it didn't it didn't work, or I don't know. So, so there was, I know some people who got no relief during those three months that we were shut down, um, which is terrible. And so, I definitely yeah. like it worries me about other people in this situation um, for sure, having to deal with this again. I mean, I, I think judging by the amount of people that were persistently still coming in, no matter what parameters that were getting thrown at them by the government, no matter how much that people in charge were asking, like please don't go out. Please be smart. Please. Like even the people who were going out and like the, the nice people who were going out and the people who like knew that it was kind of bad and they, you know, they would look at you and they'd be like, wow, I just like, can't believe that, you know, you guys have to work during this. And I would stare at them and I'd be like, yeah, you know, like you're here right now. So (laughs) you obviously can't like, and it would be funny, like the little things that people would try to do to try to like, you know, be COVID safe. Like this one person ordered like a, a six beer taster flight. And then one of my servers was like, hey, can I get six extra of those tasting glasses? And I was like, why? And he's like, oh, it's because they want to share their tasting flight. And so they want to. And I was like, OK, just like share the glass, whatever. He's like, oh, they don't want to because of COVID, you know, he said they're worried, <laughs> they're worried about COVID. And I said, well, obviously not that much because they're out at a fucking restaurant. So they're not yeah, that yeah, worried no, about seriously. it. <laughs> Um, that's fucking wild. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, um, so it was just, it was just madness to just witness, you know, and then you're like, okay, you can't, you know, we talked, I think we talked about this in the last time I was on the episode about like the same household rule that went over exactly like I said it was going to go, which was that people would just say yes. And they would say, yes, mm-hmm. we all live in the same household. And, you know, and I asked my management, I was like, hey, so what do I do mid-service when it's very clear that these people are not from the mm-hmm. same household? And my management was just like, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, but mm-hmm. they made, I think that my spot made the right decision to actually lay all of the, like the front of house, like the servers and the bartenders off. Some of the chefs are still working because we are still doing food to go, um, but their hours got cut. My brother also... My brother also works at a restaurant um, up in Linwood, and it's the same thing for him. His hours just got cut, but they're still doing to-go food. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the front of house, um, I mean, only being able to sit outside, it's November going into December, you know? So outside is not pleasant, and you have these other places that are, like, putting – you know, okay, canopies, I can understand, all right, but these full-on, like, banquet tents, like, what – is the point of being yeah, outside yeah. if you're making the outside an inside. 
<laughs> yes. Well, if you're sitting multiple tables to a tent or an area, it yeah. doesn't really make sense. Well, they yeah. put them in these like ET plastic bubbles. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to be like, you know, in ET, they did that to keep the alien diseases inside the bubble, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, the bubble makes the bubble ones make the most sense because it's like if you're you're just sequestering the one table that you're eating with anyway. So if you're making the decision to eat with these people at a table, presumably the people of your own household, then sequestering you from the elements in your own bubble makes sense. But yeah, once you set up like a dining hall in a tent that is like full of seven tables on the street, like that stops making much sense, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, well then if you're the next person going in the tent, I mean, I, I don't imagine they're like bug bombing the tent. Oh yeah, no, I can guarantee you. I mean, like in terms of like, especially the, the turnover and how like crazy some places were getting, you know, just mm-hmm. packed. Like the servers so, are not because they're down to fewer tables, right? Right, and like, the servers still, are yeah. not washing like every square inch of mm-hmm. those walls. So, well, I, yeah, it, it was inevitable that like the vigilance would go down because work is exploitative and awful, right. and asking people to do more for no apparent reason and is going to be a problem. Like oh, running around just in like the I the amount of steps that I walk I would walk during a shift was absolutely insane. I would I was clocking like ten miles per shift. <laughs> like just Hell 12 yeah. hour days 10 hour days it was, it was it was insane and like i mean L, the word just came out that la is actually like cutting off even just outdoor seating but i mean like here in seattle the weather is kind of doing some of that job with us it's like as a deterrent like hey mm-hmm. don't go out like if you're gonna go out and you're gonna go sit in the freezing rain and you need to be out that bad you know go ahead whatever like sure you know, here's your beer, go sit outside. I'm not going outside to serve you. You can walk your ass out there and sit your ass by yourself. Don't ask for anything. <laughs> Don't ask me to come out and get you anything because you're out there. Um, yeah. But in LA, I mean, the weather in LA is still, you know, palatable to be able I'm to sure go sit great, outside. Yeah. And so yeah. all these people are like, well, I guess I'll, I guess now we just have to sit outside. And it's to the point where they're like, no, now you can't have that, you know? So taking, it is that, that dilemma on the left of like, you know, not... The, the state authoritarianism or whatever and you know mm-hmm. like the anarchists are having this trouble like these you know this t- conundrum of like do i listen to the state do i do i do i like <laughs> that i am li- that the state is putting these restrictions on you know or is that completely antithetical to my entire foundational ideology like what's going on but i mean there's that rock meme I, the, the meme with the rock and the little girl in the back seat like the little little white girl i don't even know what movie it's from mm-hmm. or whatever but the template is like the rocks driving the car and he's like, how bad is it or ever? And, and the white girl in the back's like, anarchists are saying, listen to the state. But then there was somebody like came out with a, another version of that where like there was a second page and the rock is like, anarchists are not saying, listen to the state. Anarchists are saying, listen to the scientists who the state is like blasting the message of, which is you that you need to stay home <laughs> to save lives, you know? So, um, but I think that, you know, it's very, it's very apparent that people will not do the right thing when given the choice, when given like the majority of people are still coming, like how many tourists that we had, Arizona, Florida, Chicago, like everywhere, Chicago, mm-hmm. like, especially because they're coming to places like Seattle where they're like, oh, it's our first time. We've never been here because we can't leave the country right now. So people are just taking trips mm-hmm. to places they've never been because fuck it. Why not? You know? And yeah, so yeah. I don't care how many people from Florida, you know, and we, we had to throw a couple people out over the summer because they were just like, 
you know, we'd be like, hey, these are our protocols, do this, do this, do this. And they'd be like, this, that's dumb, you know, like this bullshit, like just completely <laughs> disregarding it. Like oh, people coming in wearing masks that say like, this mask, this mask does nothing like printed on it. And you're like, cool. Like yeah. you guys are real fucking cool. You know, just like making like mm-hmm. snide comments about like, Oh yeah, the COVID, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Oh, okay, dude. Like, sure. Here's your fucking check. Like, um, but you know, you, 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 these people are, people are obviously acting like children when it comes to like the, the moral responsibility of not doing these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are going to be treated like a child and now these, these privileges are now revoked from you. But that also puts the service industry workers at a, on a hard spot because like, you know, we do need people to come in, you know, the difference of a slow night on tips versus a busy night on tips is like, that's groceries, you know? Mm. So yeah. what is this place that we're put in, you know, to be like, we're upset that things are slow. We're upset that our hours are getting cut, but also now like we're thrust in the middle of, the worst industry to be working on during a pandemic. Like the, how are all of these big tech firms telling their people to work from home when you can go into an office with a mask on and keep your mask on all day? Why is the industry where people come in and deliberately take their masks off to eat and drink and put their mouths all over shit and people who have to wash and carry and, and you know, grab these, these items that have saliva and, and breath and COVID, you know, all over them. Like, why is this the one, one of the first ones that was opened and the one that is still open? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, we, had a, we had a dump bucket. So every, you know, glassware that came back that still had liquid in it, we'd dump it in mm-hmm. this bucket before we put it in our dishwasher. And we would go to dump it, you know, get full. And we'd walk it and it was called the COVID bucket. Like, you know, you dump it in a sink and you hope, you hope for, you hope to God that it doesn't splash back on you, you know, just by like the physics of dumping a whole bunch of water into a sink. You dump it really, really slow. Like, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God. (laughs) Oh God, that's gross. Yeah. It's like when you're, you know, pissing standing up and you're, you're trying to hit the side of the bowl. So it doesn't like spray (laughs) all over the room, but it it does anyway. There's no getting around it. (laughs) It's disgusting. Oh, as I say, so the, you know, we've covered the bad actors in COVID, right? And the people who are getting fucked over by cut hours and stuff like that. I hear you have a uh, a new project that's hoping maybe for some good actors. In this hoping. Yeah. So, you know, thinking again about all of, you know, other staff workers, back of house, um, you know, front of house, people who maybe this is kind of a, a death stroke because, you know, I've been listening to the show, what you guys are talking about and the news about the impending homelessness and like all the evictions and shit like that. Um, Bryn and I actually were spitballing this, uh, like network, like a mutual aid network. Um, and we've pretty much laid the foundation to at least get people talking. Um, it's called Mm -hmm. the customer service community network, um, which is, uh, basically just, uh, a way for get people uh, for people to post, uh, you know, what they're in need of, whether it resources, whether it be like food, money, clothing. Um, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm not gonna have, not gonna get dinner tonight, or I can't afford groceries, like somebody can like donate you money or whatever. And um, as you know, networks are more effective when there's more people in them. We're hoping to spread the word as much as possible, so people can keep an eye on what others may need. Um, if you are somebody, if you or somebody, you know, is in need of resources, 
Um, there's a Facebook page up that, uh, I think you guys can probably link to. Um, and then there's an Instagram account. Uh, the handle for that is at CSCN for community service, uh, customer service community network. Uh, so yeah, sorry, hold on at CSCN Seattle for Instagram. And you can just send a DM and we'll make, um, like a post on there and a post on the Facebook. Um, and if some people, you know, they don't really feel comfortable about making public posts like that, you can send an email, uh, with what you need to it, um, at neighbors only at gmail.com. Um, and then we have links to, uh, like a Google form, like a, like a survey basically that will help us figure out, you know, what you fill it out about what you need, uh, with information that you're comfortable sharing. We also have a version that's in Spanish as well. Um, and though I have links for those that I can give to you guys, you can link them, uh, in the, the show notes. Um, yeah, we'll definitely have those in the show notes. For yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Thanks. And, um, and it's not limited to people, like just people in the customer service either. That's just kind of like where we started. Um, so, cause I mean, mm-hmm. this, the pandemic is affecting people in all kinds of industries. So, you know, if you know someone, um, or you are someone just look us up at us. We're going to try to add some of the other mutual aid networks. I think there's like big table Seattle, which is another like service industry worker, um, like benefit mutual aid benefit. I know there's a couple of them going around in LA. Um, but yeah, just trying to create a, a like a, a beacon hub for people to be like, Hey, I need this. And, and you can post like, you know, you can get in contact with somebody or we can get you in contact with somebody in your area or whatever, you know, like I don't have a job, so I'm willing to drive to help someone, you know, so, and I've got a car, so that's pretty mobile that way. Um, but just trying to make sure that everybody has what they need right now. Cause this is, you know, it was, yeah. it, if only somebody would have told us that if we didn't do things the smart way that we were going to end up in another shutdown, if only we had yeah. known I believe yeah, that the, the term was a long, dark winter. Yeah. I believe. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We're there now. Yeah, we are definitely there now. Well, you know, thank you for joining us, though, and taking time out yeah, of totally. uh, your Thanksgiving dinner to talk with us. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, you know, yeah. giving me a ring and thinking about me. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, the yeah. customer service uh, network sounds really cool. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm sure by the next time we have you on maybe you'll have some you know good uh hopeful stories to tell about people helping each other from that um so yeah we'll definitely link to all that stuff in the show notes and um yeah happy thanksgiving marina thank awesome. you yeah. so good to hear your voice yeah, and you guys um, too. hopefully we can you know see you in person sometime in a brighter future <gasps> or a dark or a darker future where the the coronavirus has nonetheless passed <laughs> the more likely darker future <laughs> because we've reached herd immunity in the united states because everyone has gotten it well i'm the queen of darkness so i mean this is just my aesthetic right here so <laughs> all right uh, all right uh, well thanks and enjoy the rest yeah, of your holiday and yeah everybody be safe and stay warm oh <laughs> well okay bye bye, bye. Well, that was really special to hear from our good friend Marina on this Thanksgiving day. I think I'll serve myself up another slice of pumpkin pie while we hear from our next sponsor. Oh, uh, actually, I guess we've got we've got them on the line right now. It's Casey and Tommy from the Beacon Cinema in Columbia City. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. What's up, man? 
Yeah, how are things been going? It's going all right, man. For about a month there, we were doing some public shows, but mostly private rentals at the Beacon, you know, after being closed for, what, six or seven months. But yeah, now we're just back down to doing private rentals, and it's going really well. The neighborhood has been really cool, and just sort of the people that supported us in the first place um, have been really awesome about coming out and, you know, buying merch, and yeah, it's, it's going all right. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot for having us on the show. Yeah, um, we, we really appreciate it. It's, it's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, we have something that we kind of wanted to show off, I guess, or kind of, I don't know, what is, what's that expression? Run up the, run it up the flagpole? So we've got something here. It's like, <laughs> it's kind of a COVID project, but it does really mean something to us. Mm-hmm. And we just sort of want to, you know, toss it out here, just see how you guys respond. So we wanted to take this time and just sort of come up with our own film. Yeah. And... It's been something that's like been living in our heads. You know, we're proud of what we've done so far. But, you know, I I think this will be really helpful if we can just sort of hear ourselves say it out loud. Yeah. And just sort of like see, see what the vibe is on this. Yeah, sure. So it's about these three guys. Well, actually, they're they're more like teenagers, and um, they have a little radio show that they do in their little town. And they have a really good time doing it. Uh, they do it out of one of the kids' garages, and, you know, they talk for a couple hours every day. You know, they have little opinions about the town, and they make little jokes, Aww. and they have these bits. When we first meet them, they're in the middle of, like, this two-hour bit about <laughs> a guy who drank a chemical toilet. Yeah. <laughs> So it's a coming-of-age movie, sort of in the spirit of, you know, say, Breaking Away or Hoosiers, but, you know, kind of meets a more kind of English sensibility in the sort of kitchen sink type movies. So we follow these three kids over the course of this summer as they just live their lives. Mm -hmm. And it's just these tiny little dramas that play out, you know, from the perspective of the audience. We we know that this is just sort of insignificant small-town stuff. Meaningless. But... From the perspective of these characters, this stuff is huge. It, it mm-hmm. takes on the way to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, it, for them, their whole world is this radio show. And the town <laughs> listens. Uh, okay. Oh, the yeah, town yeah, listens okay. as a joke. Everybody laughs when they do their show. Yeah, it's not, and not in sort of a fun way. They're, <laughs> it's mean laughter. It's, uh, you know, they're laughing at the foolishness of the three main characters. And they just don't have a clue. Uh-huh. It, it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, but I mean, that's sort of that Coen Brothers element that we keep talking about. Like, it's sort of, you know, there's a sprinkle of kind of Ignatius J. Riley in there, too. In one of the These characters. are our protagonists. We're on their side. We're following them. Yeah, you can't help but kind of get swept up in it, even if they are sort of hapless and... It's kind of dumb. Yeah, pathetic. I mean, it, <laughs> there's no other word for it than pathetic. Anyway. So, yeah, let's run through uh, the main characters. So it's really an ensemble piece, but still, the lead character is this kid, Colin. He's this sort of, like, great kid with a heart of gold, but (laughs) he's run ragged from just helping everybody all the time. His big thing is that he really just can't say no. And he's got this job. He works at Radio Shack. He's, you know, he's kind of a, a... yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But he's got to babysit. He's got to, you know, help the neighbors fix their radios. He's just fucking stressed yeah. all the time. Just this kid cannot get a break. But his dream would just be to set that all aside and do the radio show full time. Right. <sighs> but he's a pragmatist, and mm-hmm. he knows that it's just not realistic. 
And mm. through the course of the movie, we really see him have to make a choice. Is he going to step up and do what's hard and let somebody down? Right. Is he going to face his mm. biggest fear, yeah. which is change? <laughs> his buddy on the radio show is this other kid, Greg. <laughs> and Greg is an oafish loudmouth who's tolerated to different degrees by the people in the town and basically avoided by everyone else. He just wants to be taken seriously. He's just so desperate <laughs> to be heard. Greg, for some reason, just lives in a treehouse out in the middle of the woods. And he's just such like a weird and out of touch kid that he can't really see that he's just sinking lower and lower. He really needs just like a concerning amount of help from the people around him. I mean, he is a really, really good person deep, 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 deep down. Uh, he's, you know, he's got a heart of a lion. And I think he has a certain very, very pure honesty that I think can be, you know, for, for a lot of people... For polite society, a little bit abrasive. You <laughs> suck. <laughs> and to round out the group, they have a third. Brian, who really just kind of showed up out of nowhere. No one knows where he's from. And this is kind of the wild card for the movie. Yeah. Uh, it's something of a uh, supernatural element. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yep. Uh, we went there. He might have to uh, go back to his home planet. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, yeah. So the plot really kicks into gear when the beloved DJ on the real radio, you know, the actual radio, when he passes away and our three main characters hear the announcement, you know, broadcast. This over. is a big deal in this little town. This guy was a legend. And, you know, who's going to fill these shoes? Yeah, it's been, <laughs> what, 40 years he's been doing this job. And now the position's open. What an opportunity. And there's auditions at the end of the summer. So everyone in the town starts getting ready. I mean, they're all kind of getting their little troops together and practicing in their garages. And this is where we sort of dip into an art house vibe for our main characters, for their sort of audition narrative. Yeah, I mean, this sequence, you know, we've talked a lot about it. And, you know, if it, if it comes off the way that we're picturing, you know, it wouldn't be out of place at like, the Museum of Modern Art or, you know, the lobby of the Guggenheim. <laughs> or, or Git, though, honestly. Yeah. This it's thing interminable. Is, it's Lars von Trier meets Andy Warhol's Empire done by <laughs> Bertolt Brecht. So that's their base point, and they've got a long way to go from here. So narratively, that's the backbone of the movie. The kids prepping for this big audition at the end of the summer. Like we said, there is a sort of supernatural element here, and we actually learn throughout the course of the movie that you know, on, on Brian's home planet, he was sort of sustained in a different way. And the only way he can actually sort of maintain in the Earth's environment is by complaining for 90 minutes every day. And, you know, sort of the irony is that Brian thinks by doing it on this radio show with his buddies, he's kind of getting rid of it in a healthy way. But, you know, the, the irony there is that he's really burdening everyone else in the town with this venomous complaints. He's got this sort of poisonous negativity and it's just channeled through this compulsive critique that has almost like a supernaturally malign effect on everyone who listens. Yeah, I mean, he thinks he's sort of containing it in the garage, but he's really just kind of spraying it all over town and it, and it gets on everything. <laughs> it's almost not of this world, just really kind of a, a new kind of yeah. toxic. Yeah. 
<laughs> Another thing that's kind of going on with Greg is that he's slipping lower and lower, and Colin's pretty concerned. <laughs> yeah. So at his job at Radio Shack, he begs and pleads and just like really gets on the manager's good side until the manager ultimately offers Greg a job at the Radio Shack on Saturdays and Sundays. And for Greg, this is a huge moral quandary. This is a real, real turning point in his life because is he going to sell out or is he going to stick with his dream, which is, you know, obviously to do the radio show full time. At one point in the script, we actually have the Greg character saying, I don't know how I'm going to work at the radio shack and do the radio show. (laughs) So he ultimately turns down the job and he keeps calling it his career that he's walked away from his career (laughs) so he can pursue this radio thing and it really fucking pisses Colin off yeah it's driving him crazy because you know Greg has basically just spent the entire summer in his treehouse fucking around while Colin has been busting his ass unable to say no to anyone around him but the real meat of the whole thing is watching the rehearsal process slowly unfold think all that jazz or, you know, a little bit of Jacques Rivette, mm-hmm. that kind of feeling of just like repetition and like small, subtle, uh, evolving performance. Just sort of a, a study of performance. Almost unnoticeable, the progress. But, you know, you, you see them doing it enough that you assume it's <laughs> So at last, the big day's here. But there's a crisis. Colin gets called into the radio shack and has to work on the day of the audition. What's he going to do? This is the biggest moment of his life so far. And his dilemma is, is he going to stay the course and continue keeping everyone in his life and general orbit happy? Or is he for once going to do the thing that makes him happy and follow his dream? But, you know, it's a movie. So, of course, he goes straight to the audition and he meets with Greg and Brian, who are obviously relieved to see him. And you see the whole town has come out. Everybody's got their own little act ready. They're all rehearsing out in the parking lot. It's all a flutter. Yeah, that's very folksy. When, you know, there's a guy with a ventriloquist dummy. There's a, there's a lady with a horse. <laughs> one by one, they start bringing the acts into the recording studio. And finally, we get to their audition. We get to finally see if they're going to bring it. This is really the climax of the movie. Yeah, it's the all final been building scene. to this. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge deal. You can tell how nervous they are. And they're, they're auditioning in a room that it's not their garage. It's behind, there's, you know, the judges are behind like a two-way mirror because, you know, if you're auditioning for the radio, it wouldn't matter how the judges are reacting because you still have to do your bit on air. So they choke. They just get off on the wrong foot, and it's instantly a snowballing disaster. You can tell immediately that something is just sort of off, and tensions kind of rise from there, (laughs) primarily uh, with Greg, who throws a full-on tantrum in the middle of the audition. He just melts down. It's out of control. He starts shouting. He's, like, crying. It's ugly. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. We see him pinballing back and forth around the whole studio, and at one point he actually gets a bucket stuck on his foot, like a like a janitor's mop in a bucket, and he's swinging around Colin and Brian completely aghast and cannot believe the horror unfolding in front of their eyes. But on the other side of that glass, we see the judge's reaction. They're not exactly concerned. They're sort of bemused, and there's a couple light <laughs> chuckles happening between two of the judges. And as it gets more and more out of hand, and just like it completely gets away from them, the judges start cracking up. 
They're loving it. And at this point, Greg bounces into another open closet door, and there's a bucket that has fallen on his head. So it's a disaster. I mean, it's just, you've never heard such a racket in your life. But the judges are going insane. They love it, but our characters can't tell. So they think they've blown it. So they walk out of the studio all dejected. This was their big moment, and they blew it. Their heads are just hanging low. But, you know, the winner's going to be announced later that night, so of course they tune in. And, uh, yeah, they get it. They, they can't believe the it job. either. They, they got, got it. the job. They did it. Yeah, not exactly how they wanted to get here, but, oh, my God, a dream realized. And that brings us to our CODA scene. Last scene. <laughs> Now we get to see if they actually have it, if they can actually pull this off on the big stage. And, you know, this is, in a lot of ways, you know, you've spent 90 minutes with these guys and you've watched them get a job. And now, you know, as a viewer, you're kind of wondering, maybe they really do have it. Or maybe on this bigger stage, they'll be able to dig a little bit deeper and pull it or continue to be a sort of pathetic and meandering and awful as they you know, have been for those 90 minutes. <laughs> Cut to the first day of work. We see them get ushered into their new workplace by a producer who'll be helping them through it. They can't believe the studio in front of them. I mean, it has actual equipment and actual <laughs> microphones, three of them, and they don't have to share anymore. And before they know it, the producer is rapping on the window, telling them they've got five seconds before they're to be on the air for the first time. So at this moment, we go through a montage of the entire town. Cinematic time begins to expand. Yeah, we see an old drunk stumbling out of a bar <laughs> and starting his car to drive home. He turns up his radio and, you know, it's clear it's two or three in the morning on Sunday night. We cut back to our characters and the producer is at three, two in the countdown. We see our characters give each other one last look. Holy shit, we're here. Then, we cut to an Oliver Stone-style insert shot of an on-air sign. After about a second, it fires up in blazing red light. Hard cut to black. That's our movie. <laughs> Triumph. Wow. <laughs> what a movie. Oh, I hope somebody makes wow. that. That's uh, that's a really yeah. powerful pitch we just heard. Uh, I've never I hope been Hollywood so is listening. Never been so emotionally touched by a film before. Yeah, I felt really connected to that. Yeah, uh, it really uh, movies. I don't hit, really uh, close to home, as they say. Yeah, I don't really like feel the connection to film in the way that I felt the connection to that. You know, I feel most of the time I'm a viewer, whereas there I felt like I was in it. Yeah, <laughs> like you're living it almost. <laughs> yeah, and beautifully pitched. Uh, by Tommy and Casey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure they have a uh, bright future ahead of them in Hollywood. Yeah. But, uh, until then, uh, people should visit them. Uh, you know, obviously your <laughs> apparel at the Beacon Cinema. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Buy, buy apparel from the Beacon Cinema. Yeah. Go buy When it. available, uh, rent them out for private, uh, small mm -hmm. number events. Um, yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. Hey, your own movie theater to show whatever you want. Sounds great. At a, uh, yeah. Couldn't be a better place to see a movie either. Maybe do something wacky like rent it out and show Waterworld. Yeah, that sounds like a crazy. What kind of fucking weirdos would do that? <laughs> uh, Probably those three guys in that movie. 
Yeah, actually, that <laughs> does sound like something they'd come up with. Uh, well, yeah, thanks again to the guys at the Beacon. Um, I think uh, it's probably time to make another call to a Thanksgiving friend. Let's do it. Hello? Hey, Chewy, it's your it's your friends from Seattle Sucks from Seattle. Hey, Chewy. I don't know anyone from Seattle. No, no, you know us. You've been on our boat. Mm, if you say so, but it's still, I think I'd remember being on a boat in Seattle. But anyway, uh, what's up, uh, guys? I'm oh, no, 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 it's no big dinner, deal. We're so. also in the middle of Thanksgiving. And what we're doing is we're giving thanks by calling our friends and talking with them. You know, Thanksgiving is all about family. And uh, we don't like our family, so we're calling our friends. Yeah. And since you're our, uh, the Seattle Sucks Texas correspondent, you know, naturally we want to check in with you, Chewy, mm-hmm. see how you're doing. What, you know, my big question as a, one of the only non-Texans in Seattle, apparently, uh, <laughs> is how do Texans celebrate Thanksgiving? Oh, well, that's a great question. We, well, there's a new tradition now. Because I don't know if you heard, but uh, Joe Rogan, the famous podcaster, uh, he moved to Austin. Yeah, he's our hero. So yeah. we've actually given yeah, we've same, given him but, some tips on how to do his podcast better. So like, we, like uh, I think we gave him we're right. we're part of his success. Mm-hmm. Well, he's become now in Texas like the equivalent to Santa Claus. So he travels to every family during Thanksgiving now and uh, bestows um, elk meat and talks about um, jujitsu. So it's uh, it's a great new tradition that, that we have. Yeah. yeah you do not want to surprise Joe Rogan when he comes down your chimney. That's the thing. <laughs> No, 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 definitely not. <laughs> and sometimes if you're like a really good uh, little Thanksgiving boy or girl or whatever pronoun you choose, sometimes Alex Jones comes with them <laughs> and, and they tell you fantastic tales of reptilians and lizard people. Oh, man. You know, it is so funny. So, you know, obviously Joe Rogan has moved to Texas. First off, I, I heard that yeah. uh, I heard from you that there was some sort of yeah. <laughs> debate in Texas about where he was going to move as if it was any sort of question. Uh, like, yeah. what the fuck was that? Yeah, about? yeah. I think uh, mainly the mouth breathers, the smooth brains on Reddit were like, uh, I mean, I'm part of the problem too. But, um, yeah, they, me, on my Reddit post. Me. All my reply, guys. <laughs> um, no, a lot of people, though, were like, where's he going to move? And people were, you know, try. I guess they picture Joe Rogan as some, like, rugged cowboy. Uh, so they were, like, picture, like saying he's going to move some in some, like, heavily wooded like, remote like area. West Texas, I was just like, like, it's awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he was gonna like Odessa, <laughs> Amarillo. Yeah, like he's gonna raise cattle. No, and I was just like comic, like no, it's Austin. Like it's unequivocally, there's no mystery. Like what's the closest place to like a overpriced California like city? Austin. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he, he yeah. So sure enough, he got some like supposed like twelve million dollar mansion that's like right on the river. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he has dinner with greg abbott now so that's real cool yeah. can't wait for him to be on the podcast yeah, yeah no kidding yeah and i mean austin too yeah. just because uh you know 
like you already brought up Alex Jones, you know, Joe Rogan, Alex Jones, both uh, successful uh, podcast entrepreneurs. Alex Jones, obviously, with the uh, Gen 1 podcast, the radio show. Uh, but also both in the supplement game, right? You know, <laughs> both both running those supplements. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah, yeah. That's that was another like strong indicator because Joe Rogan's like part owner of On It. I don't know if your readers are. <laughs> avid, we don't, uh, they work out a lot. But... <laughs> this show reads or works out, so we can just. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> You'll have to explain. Okay, that. throw that up. <laughs> right. It's just it's a supplement company that's uh, fairly popular, but um, he's co-owner, so that's another reason when I was arguing with my fellow smooth brainers on Reddit, I was, I was saying like, it would make no sense for him to not, to not live in the city where he already has a vested interest. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And it's surprise, surprise. He, uh, moved in and he had Alex Jones on pretty quick in the new studio. Yeah. too. You know, so. I know Alex Jones is a bad man and all that kind of stuff, but I do still have a soft spot in my heart from him from his uh, real coast to coast days where he was just all about when he when he was all about the real stuff, the lizard people, <laughs> the breaking into Bohemian. Yeah. Grove, well, Thanksgiving's kind of about family. It's time you maybe made peace with your dad, Brian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. That's right. <laughs> Chewie's met my dad and oh, if only he was Alex Jones. Um uh, yeah. Well, Chewy, uh, that's not the only thing. I mean, Joe Rogan, that's big news. But uh, I hear there's yes. some other big news in Texas, uh, maybe that you're involved in. A new exciting campaign, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, just uh, within this week, the original son, the true son of Texas, Matthew McConaughey, he has tentatively announced that he would uh, run for governor. <laughs> And uh, try to uh, try to take the throw his hat. Yeah, this is this is a this is true. Holy I think he first said it on a on a podcast, um, the Hugh <laughs> Hewitt show. <laughs> I think he mentioned it too because he actually was on Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, I'll wait for for him and Alex Jones to come over for dinner and ask him for sure. But um, <laughs> yeah, but so Matthew McConaughey is expressed a strong interest in running for governor. I'm just picturing him and, at his political campaigns, just doing the like beating his chest from Wolf of Wall Street, you know, and like singing the song, you know, I'm just picturing that while everybody in the crowd just does it with him and he wins by an enormous landslide. He can just replay his Lincoln commercials and at the end says, <laughs> I, oh I'm God. Matthew McConaughey and prove this message. <laughs> and, and oh my God, you are so right. And then he would just win. That would be it. He, he would, Do you he think would at his rallies like, he would be shirtless? I think. Well, I mean, so I'm, I'm sorry. Since I'm, gonna, I'm his campaign advisor, I am going to tell him <laughs> that he should be shirtless, like half half of the rallies. Oh yes, yeah. I well, be, yeah. I mean, you should challenge Greg Abbott to take his shirt off too. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is he going to run as a Democrat? Supposedly, but what's interesting is that he um, they looked up the like his voting record, and he's only voted twice, and he's Perfect. owned property in Texas for like. I think he's gone through like four election cycles. <laughs> he's only voted twice. <laughs> Honestly, it just makes him more appealing. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, perfect. If McConaughey runs, he will win by the largest margin. Ever. That I, I want to like study that platform. I want to like, I want to know, I want this to be now. I'm so, this is so exciting. This is like going to launch a new era of American politics. Like whatever weird fucking cobbled together as shit particularly if he runs as a democrat 
Um, and the I, Democratic yeah, Party will just get out. They will fucking grease the skids for him if he tries to do that. Um, and if and whatever like fucking cobbled together, like it'll be this mishmash of like Democratic consultant like triangulation nonsense that leans heavy on like Texan culture and like really like tiptoes around fucking you know racial questions and like gun ownership <laughs> on the but but then it'll also have this like major like fudge ripple of Marianne Marianne Williamson type shit running through it you know like but also then with its own like nuts sprinkled on the Sunday that you could only come from the mind of Matthew McConaughey itself himself like I just I this is the greatest news I've I've heard all of 2020. I disagree with his economic platform, but I do agree with his uh, position on high school girls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Well, well, you know, yeah. Abbott is probably going to attack him with some QAnon shit, and McGonagall is just going to look him straight in the eye and be like, "Hey." Who drove deep into Louisiana, busted up Holy that shit. Oh my god! If he goes full Reagan and starts con, 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 like conflating his getting, con, movie roles, conflating his own movie roles with his own life, like where if he starts like he runs as Russ Cole. Like, yeah. <laughs> dude, holy shit. Oh, my fucking God. This fucking... Oh, when is this election? This oh. cannot come soon enough. Um, I think 2022. Oh, you're killing me. What are you yeah. teasing me with this shit for? <laughs> that's, long, that's far enough away for him to not actually do it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Fuck you for fucking tur- <laughs> letting, leading me on like this. It is. Well, you know, he's got to start now. I mean, yeah. He's got to start to get the ground running now, you know? And it is critical for everybody listening to this podcast. Get a hold of Matthew McConaughey any way you can and tell him he must run for governor of Texas. Yes. The only oh, on thing Twitter, stop- it was a hit. <laughs> the only thing stopping him from being governor of California is himself, is him deciding he doesn't want to because everything in the universe is going to get out of the way. Like the seas fucking parting before Moses. Okay. If he comes out seriously, like and start hiring like democratic consultants like the whole fucking operation will open up the fucking and then uh the same will happen on election day he will fucking kill mm-hmm. yeah i don't know kill. yeah he will get the streets will run red with <laughs> the blood of, of the innocent yeah yeah so um so that's my that's my new uh uh job now i'm gonna work with matthew mcconaughey to uh run for governor of texas yeah, like lucky for you. Here you thought running all those marathons and stuff was uh, pointless or whatever as you got older, and now it's all so clear. <laughs> it's all been leading to this. Yes, so equally as useless. So yeah, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm technically unemployed. Well, I was unemployed because of uh, you know COVID. So now I have a job. So thanks, McConaughey. He's already contributing to the local economy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Got my vote. That's for sure. So. So COVID's also affected, um, you know, accountants who move money for the Mexican mafia, I believe was the <laughs> job you described to us last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, uh, safety first is what the cartel's uh, motto is. So they were like, we have to let you go until this COVID thing is uh, under wraps. <laughs> we, can't, we can't meet with you. We don't want to deal with you until COVID is, uh, you know, because we're a family. We're a family. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, your family's got to watch out for each other, right? Yeah, yeah. 
so uh, that's that's my Thanksgiving. Just uh, left some bourbon out for uh, Joe Rogan and Alex Jones to come uh, visit here in a little bit. Is it, I was say you should leave the ayahuasca for fucking uh, <laughs> for Joe. Uh, I don't know. Does Joe drink? Yeah. He seems like a psychedelic guy. To no, me. he drinks. He drinks. Oh man! Yeah. And plus, uh, does McConaughey drink? Oh yeah. Didn't he used to advertise a? Oh. He used to advertise a like wild like, turkey or something to advertise. Yeah, oh. I, I'm sure that they wanted him to, but like, there's no fucking way McConaughey drinks. Look at him. No, you yeah, see those abs? I mean, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> no, literally, literally, he's like, okay, he's like 60 years old, and he it looks like that. He's, that's not what alcohol. As somebody who knows what alcohol does to the human body, <laughs> that's not it. It's the case study. <laughs> 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 Me and McConaughey. Also, the, his we vibe 18, though, his yeah, vibe we, is very not like yeah, yeah, like he he's he'd be like, what? No, I meditate instead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. mushrooms and Joshua Tree for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Classic pairing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as Chewie can attest, um, you know, me and McConaughey at age 18 looked exactly alike. Spinning, yeah, and I have yet to see the difference is alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, uh, McConaughey. Having met the man and worked with him, right, um, right, right, uh, oh, on multiple sh- multiple things. Um, you know, uh, he in person he looks like like a leathery snake, <laughs> 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 but 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 he still looks good. Oh, okay, <laughs> like uh, like I'm like 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 he has like. The the tanned like the like the over tanned skin of a reptile, but like you're like he ha- he's like he's handsome as hell. He's like making it work, you know. <laughs> you know, if you keep so, saying the term leathery snake man, maybe Alex Jones will go visit you up in Seattle if you keep talking about <laughs> leathery snake men and reptiles. <laughs> maybe Alex Jones will be McConaughey's lieutenant governor. Oh, one could only wish. <laughs> Uh, that'd be a t- unstoppable ticket. Well, I do know for a fact that uh, if Alex Jones campaigned with McConaughey, uh, that Alex Jones would take his shirt off at the campaign events with McConaughey. So we do know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's a good way. If if when McConaughey runs, yeah, not if, yeah, when. <laughs> the that's how if he's reluctant to take his shirt off, all we need is to recruit Alex Jones to go to his events. And take his shirt off in the front row and be like, come on, I'm doing it, man. Yeah, we're doing yeah. it together, bros. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, shit, Chewy. Thanks for bringing us this exciting election news. I think this is the most exciting thing we're going to hear all Thanksgiving. Uh, That's what you get. Greg is yeah. from the, I'm the, you know, I'm that hard hitting journalism as your Texas correspondent. You know, I'm out there on the streets. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, you yeah, got your feet on the streets, me. learning everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Greg is literally vibrating in his chair. He's so excited about this. McConaughey yeah, I'm thinking about moving to Texas and working on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Come on. You know, down. Gonna raise money to sing Greg for the campaign. <laughs> yeah. You have experience. But Greg so. has so far, not the best track record at getting okay, people elected. All right. Listen. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. I, excuse me. Excuse me. I was in Texas in March of 08 for the firehouse primary that uh, Barack Obama won the caucus portion of. Yeah. How do you do in the uh, Texas primary generally? And then in the election? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Listen, we got out that vote 
for the caucuses. Okay. <laughs> Hill- and Clinton took the pro- why there's both. I don't understand, but I, I will never. Is that be- still how it works? I grew up in Texas and I could not explain its electoral system to you. And I think it's illegal to vote. Yeah. In general. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, post Civil War chicanery is the style. <laughs> the technical term. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Great. Awesome. Great. Well, like I said, I was in Texas when Barack Obama won that primary, and I, and I was out on the streets for him. So, <laughs> or that. Excuse me. The caucus. He lost the he lost the election portion of <laughs> to Hillary Clinton, as I recall. Jesus. For some reason, there was also a caucus, and he won that. <laughs> Jesus. That's what we were doing. So I think you got what it takes to be a, a McConaughey uh, campaign. Okay. Yeah. I do. I do. I'll pass it along to him. Okay, cool. Yeah, Thank you. Let, you, you let the man know that we are McConaughey diehards over here. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to ride that flat circle with them all the way to the governor's mansion. So. Sounds like a plan, gentlemen. But hell yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving, Chewy. Say hi to uh, all of Texas for I, us. I will. Yeah. Any messages to Joe Rogan or Alex Jones in particular? Like anything you want me to bring up to him? Um, keep up the good work. If you, <laughs> you know, if you get down and you need any advice, just hit us up. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll mention that. I know some real pros. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let Joe know that we're proud of him, and uh, you know, uh, they we're glad he used our advice to get them the mild, you know, modest success that he has gained. All right, I will talk to you guys later. Have a good Thanksgiving. I'm Ben. And I'm Bryn. And we are from the Red Diaper Baby Podcast, a show about capitalism, crisis, and childcare. Available on Spotify, iTunes, and all the places where podcasts can be found. Welcome to the Red Diaper Baby Shopping Network, where we help you be the best parent you can't be on your own. How do we do that, Bren? By letting our amazing products do it for you. That's right. RDB has brought you amazing products such as... The Magnolia Mindset Machine Learning Academy's The Mindsetter. The sensory deprivation tank with a VR headset that plays non-stop Paw Patrol so your littlest tyke will be ready to uphold the law, no questions asked. A very exciting product for these troubled times. No longer will you have to worry about shoplifting, ruining your cube steak experience now that toddlers have been deputized. Yes, see something, say something. And that brings us to our next item, the Action Cam 450. The camera that makes sure your nanny and other domestic workers never stop moving. That's right. We use the same biometric surveillance technology used by ICE and our CAA black sites to keep your laziest employees moving, even when there is nothing for them to do. Yes, if they don't keep moving, they receive a slight 400-watt shock from the stylish caller. You got time to sit, you got time to shit out lightning, am I right? Take that, servant. Indeed. Here at RTV, we know 2020 has been hard on all of you. We understand that purchasing all these products can really add up. And not every parent loves their kid this dollar amount. So, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, we thought about how we could bring back that old American can-do spirit through our products while helping you save money. After all, 
us here at RDB are proud Americans who want to share those values with our beloved customers. Bryn, we're on the edge of our seat here. Every parent knows that the hardest part of childcare is all that red tape. Benefits? Sick days? Minimum wage? Where does it end? I know. Yuck. That's right. How can we help all you parents out there deal with the challenges of childcare? Reading childcare blogs and taking Zoom calls about childcare? A universal childcare system that extricates the profit motive from the necessary reproductive labor of raising children has led to a better society? <laughs> no, of course not. What are we, Canada? <laughs> no, they have the ultimate childcare product, one that has, was the bedrock of the earliest America. Is it colonialism? Free real estate. <laughs> no. Is it the genocide of the peoples and culture that previously inhabited the continent? No. Is it slavery? Mm, gray area. Child labor? What is this? The Gates Foundation? We're providing people from all around the world the opportunity to work. All for, for you. you. That's right. It's time to think globally by acting locally with a member of Capital's Globe Proletarian Diaspora. It's very simple. Bring an immigrant laborer into your home and here's the best part. Just take your new servant's passport and throw it in the trash. And let the spectacle of fear round eyes view the rest. But maybe you're asking yourself, what if being a no-nonsense girl boss makes me feel bad? You know, like in the movies. For that, we have a ready supply of In This House We Believe signs. Nothing soothes the liberal conscious like putting one of those simple signs in your yard. Agree. If you can't afford any of this shit, you can still check out the Red Diaper Baby podcast. Available on Spotify, iTunes, and everywhere quality podcasts can be found. Red Diaper Baby podcast. It's a touchdown. Wow, that sounds like a lot of good product uh, from the Red Diaper Baby podcast. I look very, <laughs> I'm very excited to purchase some of those items. Uh, I'm very like excited that. to have children. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very excited to have children after hearing that. Um, I'd also like to thank uh, Chewy for giving us that very exciting election news. Uh, let's yeah, just, thanks, Chewy. Yeah, Always all good right, to have all right, all right. Time to put McConaughey in office. All right, so all our listeners... Oh my God, that's the sign. That's the slogan. Yeah. You know wow. what you need to do, listeners. Uh, you need to contact Matthew McConaughey in any way possible, including and up to finding him personally and accosting him and let him know that he needs to be governor <laughs> of Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Greg. Wait, hold on. I I hear a I hear a voice soft on the wind. Greg. <laughs> Greg, it's yes, Tiny Colin. Colin. <laughs> you you sound like you have COVID. <laughs> Please, sir, could, could you spare another Thanksgiving story? <laughs> well, I'm sure Greg is all out of Thanksgiving stories. Well, it so happens that I have one on my mind, and I know that, like Tiny Colin, the covid stricken boy <laughs> and many of our listeners <laughs> oh 
Greg. <laughs> don't, don't stop, Greg. <coughs> don't, don't stop. <laughs> I'm going now, Greg. <laughs> what are you guys laughing at? Oh, um... Okay. Uh, listen, obviously, you've all taken the No NPR November Challenge. <laughs> um, and so you're missing out on all that live storytelling and, uh, you know, personal essay radio. So I've once again got the fix for you. Got it right here. You guys ready? Oh, we're ready. All right. Let's. Uh... Let's settle in and feel the vibe. <clears throat> the story I told last year was one I'd essentially workshopped for years by telling an evolving version to many friends over my adult life and eventually developing it into a screenplay. This story is even more autobiographical than last year's as I personally feature more heavily. In fact, it takes place shortly after the last one ended, after my father had been ordered from the home and the set of video bread by a court <laughs> and restrained from seeing his children. That's awful, Greg. <laughs> but, but no, this is not the tale of how the man behind the video bread racket became a terminal divorce court guy. <laughs> Rather, it focuses more on me and my mother. I loved the 4th of July. Uh, Greg, Greg, we're, we're talking Thanksgiving here. We're talking turkey. Fine, you hate it. I'll just kill myself. <laughs> that's <laughs> uh, the end of the show and uh in our lives <laughs> yeah Ahem. Ahem. if you please <laughs> i loved the fourth of july but this is really a story about family <laughs> and what's more thanksgiving than family Fourth of July was big in Bothell, very patriotic little suburban hamlet. It has been said that Bothell has and had one of the most elaborate Independence Day traditions in Washington. The annual parade is and was a regional attraction, and at least at times, and by some metrics, has claimed to be the biggest around, drawing not only large crowds to the sidewalks of the Bothell Everett Highway, but premier parade attractions. Naturally, there are School marching bands, dance troops, rotary floats, but no less than the Lincoln tow truck, the pink one with the toes. Hell yeah. The Seafair Pirates and their amphibious pirate ship. Hell yeah. Along with, you know, old-timey fire engines and the prize collection of some local antique military vehicle club. I loved the camo dune buggies with the 50 cows mounted on them, which looking <laughs> back seemed like just some right-wing militia types trolling the town. <laughs> it has a whole different meaning these days. Yeah. 
But there's more. There's history. Bothell is an old town. There are or were even preserved old buildings from its mid-century founding at Bothell Landing, the old barge stop on the Sammamish River that became the town and was now a park. The old bulge in the slough, as we call the Sammamish River, where the barges would unload was now an amphitheater and before it floated a dock which served as a stage for summertime performances. Across the very slow-moving water was the Burkillen Trail and just at the east end of the park was an old wooden suspension bridge spanning the river. <laughs> Our first summer in Bothell was that of 1988 when Dad was still around. At the age of three and a half, I saw something that is probably fair to say changed my life on that stage floating in the slough i saw the continental congress coattails and wigs and all i saw thomas jefferson declare that all white landowning men are created equal i saw george washington stand up and announce himself unsatisfied with his immeasurable wealth in land and human property and set out to fulfill the settler colonial dream of his Scots-Irish ancestors by emptying the continent of natives. <laughs> I saw Paul Revere bolt <laughs> down the Burke Gilman Trail on his horse, and I saw the Redcoats themselves marching to the bridge at Lexington, or was it Concord? <laughs> I saw the Minutemen leap from the underbrush and cut the king's butchers to pieces. I saw a pageant spectacular of American bourgeois settler imperium. <laughs> I saw ostensibly the good guys, the triumph of liberalism over tyranny, the end of the feudal colonial order. I saw that on the 4th of July with my family, and I saw it the next year too. In fact, I became insistent on seeing it and on strict observance of what I now considered firm Independence Day family traditions. I was hooked. It's very possibly the beginnings of my interest in history and politics. Here was a story brought to life before my eyes, but also connected to my own past as a patriotic American boy. I would come to understand it as a story of freedom and democracy, and you get the idea. Oh, I think all that stuff is bullshit now, and who can say why I was more attached ultimately to the actual meaning of those ideals than to the history of America itself. It's a tale for another time, as this story is really more about the pageantry of it all. <laughs> Here they were, these living historians, bringing to life this inspiring story with costumes and wigs, but also with cannons and brown besses with black powder blanks. Among them was a lad. At least one. I remember this clearly. He must have been beating a drum, and from across the river, he could have been little older than me. And were there a few more, a couple of preteens with muskets among the Minutemen? Who knows? All I knew was that this community theater group seemed to include a child or two, and I suspect from the start I was dying to be old enough to be among their number. I've mentioned before that from the age of three to five, when otherwise dressed normally and out and about, I was almost always wearing my captain's hat. <laughs> Supposed to now. <laughs> what I <laughs> what I may not have mentioned is then when at play or when particularly inspired, I might well choose to go to preschool in costume. 
I had a large bin of dress-up clothes from which I would assemble my conceptions of, sadly, gender-normative occupational garb, like construction worker or army man. (laughs) This wasn't like spirit Halloween stuff, you understand. There may have been a couple of camo shirts and such, but the rest was just odd articles and key accessories which I imagined did the trick. Except for the hats. I had costume hats. My dad had hung a clothesline around my room and pinned to it a growing variety. A couple of captain's hats and sailor Dixie cups, a hard hat, a cop visor cap, as well as a Bobby's pith helmet. (laughs) A straw safari pith helmet, a fire helmet, you get the idea. At the age of three, while visiting family in Houston, we went to a megachurch on Easter, me in my Sunday best, which consisted of a navy double-breasted suit to which my mother had lovingly stitched silver piping around the cuffs and patched a device to the breast. And with my finest captain's hat perched at a jaunty angle, (laughs) I won a competition. (laughs) The dandiest boy in Bothell. Close. This was this was suburban Houston, and not an athletic competition. I'll best dressed little boy. <laughs> there was no competition for gayest little boy. <laughs> A budding Nathan Robinson. <laughs> Nathan Robinson's just Greg with money. Not so current affairs with Greg Ryan. <laughs> hmm. As a lad, perhaps. Anyway, that summer, let's say I was five. Let's say it was the first year with just my sister and my mother. It probably started on July 5th. I knew I wanted to be in the Independence Day pageant on the river. I wanted to hold a rifle. I'd settle for a drum. In truth, I probably would have settled for a knowledgeable adult telling me I was too young and clear instruction on how to get involved when I reached the age of ascension. (laughs) My conduit to any of these alternatives was that nucleus around which my life orbited. The traditional and exclusive franchise on the reproduction of my life, my mother. So I lobbied, I reminded, I begged, I obsessed. In some way, I understood that some work must be undertaken to achieve my one life's goal of being fitted a pair of knickers and prancing around for an audience of suburban hogs. (laughs) My single parent, a good Christian white lady and a nurse. She was once a child, and as much as I was propagandized about America's essential goodness, she was convinced of the basic competence of the family unit. An entire world had told her that two boomer idiots could get together and for no reason reproduce. (laughs) And these two idiots would be all the physical, intellectual, and emotional support a child or multiple children would need, cloistered away in a suburban home, shut off from community, with brief field trips to church to learn racism and backwardness, (laughs) and and eventually to school to learn wage slavery. So I can't really blame my single parent, my mother, who I lobbied and cajoled off and on for a calendar year. She was nothing if not reassuring. She never discouraged me as such, instead insisting that she would look into it, that she would make a call on Monday, that something would work out. 
and with lingering worry, I trusted her. As summer came, I became ever more insistent, growing worried that time was running out. As July fell near, I tumbled into despair. Ever and again, my mother assured me that she would have time to sort it out soon. On the morning of the 4th, I was distraught. Looking back, I was certainly too young to have snagged a part, and had I been assured of this fact, my overwhelming sense of FOMO might have been alleviated. <laughs> Indeed, I would have believed my mother on this point had it been argued convincingly. Instead, my mom was all love and encouragement. Greg, she must have said, it's going to be okay. We're going to figure it out. There are still a few hours until the show starts. She bade me get in costume, and so I did. Chinos and wingtip shoes, the white Oxford shirt from my award-winning captain suit, <laughs> and a vest, which to the postmodern eye looks appropriately ancient. In my hand, she placed my toy musket, a real wood and metal affair, which I protested was unneeded since obviously they had the right kind of armaments available for the production. <laughs> Just in case. On my head, from the clothesline ringing my bedroom, she set my tri-corner hat. <laughs> the one I'd worn the past two Halloweens as part of the costume she had lovingly crafted. In that mode, I'd worn a frilly shirt an eye patch, and a hook on my hand. Because I was Captain Hook. <laughs> the hat was bright red with silver piping and a white feather boa thing <laughs> stitched around the brim. <laughs> Mom wiped the tears from my eyes and loaded my little sister and I into the car. As we, <clears throat> as we made our way downtown, uh, downtown Bothell, my spirits lifted. There I was, dressed up like a patriot, on my way to slaughter some lobster backs. Mother had made things right. Once we reached the parking lot, my assessment had shifted. Something did not seem right. I had not rehearsed. These were... <laughs> Just little bells going off. <laughs> I had not rehearsed. These were not the clothes assigned to my character. I had not been assigned a character. I was carrying my toy gun. I had not registered. No one knew I was coming, and I did not know where to go. I began to cry and refused to get out of the car. Once again, my mother assuaged my fears. We would go check it out. We would see what could be done. We still had time. And so we did. Tears dried once again. We marched across the park, me with my tricorner, my musket, and some hope. We snaked through a throng of patriotic revelers who likely paid no mind to the small child in the tea party fit. We passed the amphitheater and the floating stage, all set for the Congress and rigged for sound. What was guiding my mother, I will never know. Failing to find the late-entry sign-up-for-theatrical-production booth, we came to the end of the suspension bridge, a graceful wooden arc which led to the other side of the river and the principal stage on which the play was set. There stood a cop. <laughs> <laughs> the
the civil servant informed us that the bridge was closed. Indeed, the whole other side of the river was shut down for the holiday. You see, there is a show about to go on. (laughs) (laughs) This is the kind of fairy tale where the troll guarding the bridge is very dumb and easily fooled. (laughs) The battle of wits between he and my mother was short. She informed him this was our very reason for needing to traverse the span he protected as I was to be in the show. (laughs) My mother took the disinterested shrug of the officer as he stepped out of our way as a kind of encouragement. Much as I had taken her assurance that my show would go on, she took his acquiescence as a signal from authority that we were in the right place and in the right The dumb shit cop said I could be in the show. We're off. See, I told you, Greg. We'll just go find you a place to hide in the bushes. And when the redcoats come down the road, you can thrust out and blast them with the boom boom sounds you make with your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Have I adequately stressed that this was a major outdoor community theater production with music, live animals, pyrotechnics, and police protection, which my mother had seen more than once. (laughs) Confused and growing worried, I was tugged by the arm up the arc of the footbridge. Reaching its zenith, I froze. Imagine it's 1990 and you're a little gay boy from New Jersey dreaming of Broadway. One day, your mother takes you into the big city, and you go walking down the Great White Way. You see a figure holding an alley door open with a furry foot. It's Mr. Mistopheles having a smoke break. (laughs) Your mother talks you past him. Oh, well, I never give a shit what you do, he meows. (laughs) He is magical. He really is. She shuffles you backstage, and among the rigging, she paints a nose and whiskers on you with lipstick. As Jellicle Songs really gets going, she tells you to break a leg and shoves you out on the boards. You upstage Munka Strap. God damn it. Your mother is taken away. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck there mid-bridge, nothing made sense. That cop didn't know shit. What we were doing here was dangerous. Was at least a disruption to an institution I already held dear. My mother didn't know shit. Looking up at her, I realized for the first time that my sole provision of sustenance and connection to the world was an insane person. (laughs) I refused to go on. This time, I did not cry. Rather, I was firm, adamant. We would go back to the car. I would ditch the ridiculous apparel, and we would make it back in time for the show. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Wow, what a show this has been. Thank you all for joining us. But before we finish this out, we have to do one last thing, a tradition here at Thanksgiving, which is we have to 
tell you all what we're sorry for. Brian, would you like to start? Yeah, Colin. Um, this year, I'd really just like to say I'm sorry for going so hard and endorsing Lauren Culp. All right. Um, <laughs> I know we I alienated a lot of our fans. Uh, and look, I don't know what to say. I thought he was going to win. That's beautiful, Brian. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry for being happy during COVID. <laughs> uh, I'm down to one fifth of my dosage, and I've never felt better. Uh, hard to explain that, but uh, I'm doing good. And it all started when COVID started. And, you know, I mean, first I had some like anxiety issues and then realized all I had to do was stop taking most of my medication. And uh, uh, mentally, I'm better than I have been in years. Thanks, 2020. Let's make the pandemic an every year thing. Hey, man. <laughs> I don't know how long this feeling's going to last. <laughs> yep. Yeah, ride that high. There's there's no shame in being happy, Greg. I'm I'm glad to hear it. Uh, let's see. This year, uh, <laughs> I'm uh, every day more sorry that I brought another life into this miserable <laughs> world. <laughs> and some might say that uh, 2018 was uh, 2019 was maybe the year of uh sicko mode and 2020 the year of rap mode i think 2021 might be the year of dwyer mode <laughs> <laughs> well you know we can uh hope that dwyer mindset finally takes <laughs> hold in this country <laughs> well colin i hear you and i too am sorry for something this year and it's another tough one, guys. Uh, it happened at a cocktail party. It was only in a moment. But I'm sorry for introducing Chief Carmen Bess and Eric Prince. <laughs> I I didn't realize that uh, he would steal her away from us like he did. Um, that, that's on me, guys. That's my bad. Sorry. That's you had a, no way that's of knowing, Brian. Yeah, you didn't know. Uh, but you know that was an extra apology for you. You don't get any more. No more apologies. This is uh, you know a Thanksgiving tradition that we don't want to overdo. So thanks again for tuning in um, to our celebration of a ghastly American nightmarish holiday from hell, uh, both in its mythical creation and in its present uh, observance. Uh, so yeah. Say what you want, Greg, but I like stuffing. <laughs> you like stuff in your face, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Greg's getting saucy at 2 a.m. Hey, everybody. Hope, you know, hope this has uh, made your Thanksgiving a little brighter. Um, you know, yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.